Hello and welcome back to Mad Get Radio. It's been a while, but we're back, don't worry. I know a lot of people were talking about that we'd gone missing. But I am once again joined by my partner in crime, the Kanye to my Kim. It's Paul. How's it going, guys? Hope everyone's good. Hope everyone had a good Christmas, good New Year. Getting into tournament season now. It's very exciting. Some good ninth age stuff coming out to talk about. It's been really busy, Paul. Yeah, it's been a lot of stuff going on. Events, new books... Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah. So, a lot of people have been moaning that we haven't been on. I'm not going to name names, but Martin Bueno's one. Our one fan. Our one fan. And Tommy Tucker, of course. Uh, to be um, honest, I don't even think they're qualified as fans. The no. few people that listen to the podcast. No, they keep the download numbers up from zero. But I, th- I think fan is probably the next level. Uh, but we've had a lot of shit going on. It's been busy. Someone got married. I got my oh yeah you're talking about real life I was going to say yeah. ETC that's not the direction I was going in <laughs> I was sticking with the name page yeah got married that was good and then we've had like gaming stuff as well so that's been busy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but a lot of games in this month actually it's been good it's been we have we've been playing a lot of games which is good because we're now in a position of authority or as you know as informed as we can be about mm-hmm. Gold Edition, which dropped over the, the Christmas break. I definitely read that. Yeah, I, I think I skimmed. Uh, there's been some tournaments and stuff, so we're kind of starting to get a feel about where the land lies for army books and stuff like that, which makes it an ideal time to talk about, well, what are we talking about tonight, Paul? So, as you say, a lot of the books are starting to settle down with the gold rule pack coming out. Warriors, obviously, being the first reworked book, so thought it was high time we actually sat and talked about that, especially now that the Demon Legion book's out, so better get this covered. It's been a long time coming, to be fair. It has, and we've, we've been talking about it for a while, and part of me's kind of looked forward to talking about it, but also kind of dreaded talking about it. <laughs> what could possibly go I've wrong? I've got very strong opinions about the Warrior book, so hopefully this is enjoyable. Buckle in. It will be enjoyable. <laughs> I say that like people are like, oh, fuck this, I'm just going to oh, turn it off. Now. Yeah, no. It's going to be good. It'll be interesting. I think there's a lot of good stuff to cover in the Warriors book. Yeah. I think there's there's a lot of talking points and a lot of things that can kind of be extrapolated onto kind of just the general game mechanics. So I'm hoping this will be an interesting one for people. And I'm going to try and play Devil's Advocate as much as possible. Pointing it flaws in my own. <laughs> so how are we going to do this, Paul? What we're going to do, obviously we're talking about the Warrior book, we're going to start just talking quite generally about the book, we're both going to talk about our top five pro points, things that we like about the book, and then we'll balance that out with our our five most negative things that we find in the book, and then we'll wrap up talking about the book as a whole, what we think about it, maybe touch on some of the big talking points that people have had around the Warrior book. We'll talk about basically where the Warrior stands in the in the 16 armies. Obviously the Warrior book isn't nailed down yet there's still a bit of work that's going on with the book so that might also change depending on what happens there with the design of some stuff so we'll talk about what we think might change what we would like to see change in the book and maybe just give a couple of general wish listing points for the book going forward sounds good so i think it's only fair since this is your baby that that you kick things off so we're going to start positive we'll go through um, our top five good things that we like about the book We'll transition onto the, the bad things and we'll take it from there. So, Paul, what is your number one good thing about the Warrior book? I think 2.0 originally came out, uh, the Warrior book, last January. So January 2018. And that was the original 2.0 release. And since then, there's been a few big tweaks to the book. 
and I think the last iteration that was released, there were a couple of redesigns for certain units, and I think that's made a big difference. So for me, one of the top five things has been the improved design on some things. So, for instance, the Battle Shrine. Okay. Back in 1.3, the Battle Shrine was pretty damn good. You had the hard target aura. You had the different marks that you could take on the shrine. Yeah. They had bound spells. So it was a really good utility piece in the book. Helped to offset a lot of the, the weaknesses that Army had in terms of dealing with shooting. And then in 2.0, it, it went through this massive change where it had this really weird, clunky mechanic around magic, generating soul tokens. I don't know if you remember soul tokens. They were a thing in the book for a while. They were a thing, weren't they? They were a thing. And then they decided that it was too complicated. No one was using this. It was more expensive. It, it just seemed non-functional. So yeah. then they went back to the drawing board. And the last iteration with the Battle Shrine has, has actually been really cool. So now you can use the Shrine as a war platform with the Sorcerer. Which is very cool. Which is very cool. It's very fluffy. And they've basically just stuck all these like additional rules onto it. So <laughs> you can get like... It can take banners now. If you take it as a mount or a wizard master, you can get extra spells that you wouldn't normally get access to, which is good. One of the one of the supposed strengths of the book from the army strengths and weaknesses was always supposed to be large damaging spells. So now you get like access to uh, Hellfire and you get access to the Grave Calls or you get access to Wrath of God on the shrine. You basically have to choose one of those spells. So it's a nice complement. Um, so you can basically work it where you can stack uh, three of those spells on one sorcerer. Um, if you go occultism and you take the, the heirloom and you select Wrath of God, you basically get all three of those on that one guy, which is mm. pretty nice. Tasty. So that's a pretty good improvement, I think. So Sorry, more, more astute listeners might have uh, realised the venom in that statement. Supposed <laughs> strength. <laughs> Supposed strength, Yeah. So, but like, I'll, we'll maybe touch on that on the cons. Um, okay, yeah, it's fair. We'll keep that. I will, yeah, I won't get sidetracked. <laughs> um, so that's definitely a positive. That's gone some way to help weakness in the book because obviously we don't have a shooting contingent really. Yeah. So being able to rely on magic for clearing chaff and stuff is really good. I really like the the war dice uh, mount as well for the chosen lord. So this is basically the shield bearers, but for warriors. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. I, I think it's really like fluffy. It gives basically two plus to your armor save. It gives you an additional wound, and it gives you an additional discipline. The discipline on the characters in the book has been a sore point of contention because everything's basically eight unless you go Ancestor or Herald. Yeah. And in the past, the Ancestor, you couldn't share his discipline with Hellforged armor units. So you could have nine, but it wouldn't really make a difference to the army. That was a so thing as well, wasn't it? That was a thing as well. So yeah. they've, they've taken that away, which is good. So the war dice is it's really nice, because you basically pop your guy on there, and with plate armor and a shield, you're a one-up armor save, four wounds. And I chosen Lord's Res 5. Yeah. So if you bring Sloth, you, you've now got a Res 6 guy that you can either get to a one-up, four-up, or a one-up re-rollable Res 6. That is um, that's some tasty is, sauce right there. It's pretty tanky. I mean, you. Yeah. I mean, it, it works out about seven hundred and fifty points. But you can basically get a BSB, at a one up, four up, res six, four wounds, strength seven, re-rolling to wound with divine attacks for that amount, which is very, very good. It's just the downfall becomes mobility because you're still movement five. Yeah. But it's it's a solid build. So I think the war dice is actually a really cool part of the book. I really like it. And the other thing that stands out is the the change to the warhound rule. 
So yeah. um, warhounds are kind of like the de facto chaff in the book. And we had the uh, release the hounds rule that was part of the original 2.0 release. And for you, for you, of you that don't know, the release the hounds basically allows you to perform a 24-inch march. In the original iteration, it was first turn. So if you wanted to hold back your chaff and not basically dedicate it turn one, you would lose the function of that rule, which kind of sucked. Yeah. So you were, you're kind of obligated to use it. Whereas now it's basically changed the wording to it, or once during the game. Yeah. But you're not limited to the first turn. So you can hold them back, you can hide them, and if you want, you can then, you know, chaff turn two and three later game if that's yeah. a better way to go. So that's a really small tweak, but it's just made a massive difference. And I think chaff is something that the book struggles with. So that's helped a lot, I think. Yeah, they've also added the devastating charge, right? Because that wasn't always there for the war. So rounds. that was always there, but again, oh, was it, it was, okay. Yeah, so again, it was you have to choose, and it had to be first turn. Ah, right. It was part of the yeah. Right. So okay. Because they don't vanguard. Like if you were going first, chances are you wouldn't. You know, you wouldn't be getting a charge anyway. Yeah. Because there'd be nothing to charge. So you were really bringing them for the release the hounds rule as opposed to the devastating charge rule. Yeah. Whereas the devastating charge element is even better now because they're still movement eight. So you can be pushing them up and then if something presents itself, you can say, okay, turn two, devastating charge. They're getting a charge, whatever. So they'll go up to two attacks at strength four, agility five on the charge. Yeah. Against small chaff units, that's actually pretty decent because if you run them eight wide, you'll probably get most of them in against like, you know, five man like cav type units yep they've got a use so i think some of the tweaks to some of the units i think they've definitely improved so i think that's definitely been a an improvement on the book okay well you've triggered one of my positives as well because i actually gave the warhounds uh, a slot of their own in my <laughs> top five <laughs> i think these are very good for what they are i mean the issue is is that like you say you're relying on the warhounds is basically your only form of chaff you might get away with a single wretched one as a piece of chaff or a chaff clearance, but really your warhounds are, you know, who are going to have to do the heavy lifting in that department. And I think that's why, I mean, there's Bristol is this weekend. We're recording on the 7th of Feb. Um, so Bristol's this coming weekend. And there's nine warrior lists. And I don't think any of them have any less than two units of hounds. I think one has four. They're just, they're so important for the army. And it's good that a unit that's so important is actually quite decent. I think the the release the hounds rule for the plus march it's amazing uh, for the devastating charge that's awesome as well because they're not like troops so if you've got like even like a ten man unit I don't know why you'd run a ten man unit but you know that unit breaks steadfast if it gets any you don't suffer any casualties which is a big if admittedly but I mean they're pumping out a decent amount of attacks as well so you, like you say enemy chaff uh, enemy like cav. Even just fire them into the the flank of an ongoing combat. Most of your stuff's tanky enough that you don't really mind giving away a couple wounds, res. But they're pumping out all those extra strength four attacks. So I like these guys a lot. I think they're very yeah, good. Yeah, they're good. I mean, you do need to babysit them. They're 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 discipline five. Yeah. So things like you can't really chaff monsters with them because as soon as you commit them, they'll they're out. Of, yeah, they'll get terrored. Yeah, they'll get terror checked, and then you can get into the unfortunate situation of like chaffing yourself with your own hounds as they're running away. Yeah. I mean, their discipline's always been pretty poor. I mean, in 1.3, they had a 5-up armor save in Poison, and they could Vanguard. So I think yes. yeah. the, 
the release of the Hounds rule, I would say, is as good, if not slightly better, than Vanguard. That makes up for that change, for sure. They are a little bit more squishy now than they used to be. Yeah. I mean, your only other alternative for chaff in the book is really Fallen. Yeah, Fallen um, works which so, are yeah. Which are good. I mean, they're, they're light troops, they're res 4, they've got 4-up armor save, and they're pumping out, well, a minimum size unit's pumping out 15 attacks, offensive skill 5. So they're good anti-chaff clearers, and they're annoying in that they're fearless. You've got to wipe out the unit. Yeah. So, I mean, we've had games when you've had writers, you know, having to continually shoot them. Yeah. And yeah, one guy will survive, and that one guy is just as good as the five or yeah. chaff. So arguably they're better. good. They're, I mean, they're. I mean, they're not. They're not a bad unit. They're not expensive. Yeah. They're only like 160 points, but they serve a, a different role in the book. Warhounds are your your chaff, really. Yeah. For pushing up. Leading on from that, I really like what they've done with Feldrax. Okay. As in just the Feldrax unit or the, the characters just, as well? Just the, yeah, so the whole kind of trilogy, if you will, okay. of Feldrax. I like the fluff surrounding the Feldrax. I like how they've encompassed some of that into their special rules. So again, in the last iteration, they were given a new special rule um, on Burnt. Yep. Which basically forces flaming attacks against them to be successful to wound rolls have to be re-rolled against yep. them. I mean, alchemies against warriors can be brutal. And these guys really compete with chosen knights in the book. So if you're worried about going into like alchemy magic, the, the Feldrick units are a nice alternative to the chosen knights because they do a kind of similar thing, but they're that little bit more resistant to those kind of matchups. Okay. And they're, you know, being res 5, 4 wounds, they've still got a 4-up armor save. So some of the, the spells aren't as good against them mm-hmm. that are rolling against, like, the armor. So I really like them generally. They're really tanky, they're fast, they're beasts, so they don't suffer a lot of the negatives that Cav suffer. I, I really like them. I think they're very good. I guess their big issue is their I, discipline, I though, right? They're, well, the, the Feldrax and the Feldrax Elder are still discipline 8. But they're not fearless. Ancestor is 9, but they're not fearless. The one advantage they've got is the fact that most of the other things in the book are fearless. So the only things that are going to panic them, barbarians, because dogs are insignificant. Yeah. So if you were running like a unit, you'd probably want to take uh, like a banner of discipline on like a, on a block of the Feldrax. So that's another addition that they couldn't do before. They couldn't bring magical banners, uh-huh. and they can now. Okay. So the units, they're, you know, you stick a, a banner on them for 35 points and you can stick them out on a flank and they should be fairly resilient. Yep, that's a good point. I mean, if you're taking a, like a unit of six, you've got to do a fair number of wounds against a pretty tanky unit before you even take a check in the first place. Yeah, for sure. They, they should be pretty reliable. And being strength five base, paired weapons are still a very solid choice. Or, you know, bring halberds and great weapons as well if you, if you want them for, like, monster hunting. Um, yeah, good utility, kind of anti-infantry or anti-bigger stuff. Yeah, you, you have hatred out. against fly, so uh, a lot of solo monsters flying around don't want to be fighting against Feldrax. No. Uh, which is pretty tasty, like if you've got something that's like strength 7 with hatred. Yep. I think they're really cool. I think there's a, there's a, there's a problem in the book, I think, that isn't an issue with Feldrax per se, but it's something that affects them that I'll, I'll touch on later. But as a design, I think they're really good. Okay. Um, so I'd say they were one of my top five. Okay, so that's your that's your two so far. Yeah. So who's number three? One of the so obviously Feldjacks are were kind of based on what came before in the old game. One of the new things 
to Night Age are the irredeemable units. Yep. So the wretched ones and the forsaken one, I think, are really cool. The random movement mechanic on the units is amazingly useful, especially for an army that's so reliant on close combat. Like having that element to movement gives you a lot of options. So like having like fallen ones on a flank to protect yourself from fast movers that are going to try and get around you, uh, catching people out with like you know fleeing units and being able to pick up points that way. Their ability to to grind because they're unbreakable, which is amazing, and being able to perform like grind attacks in ranks like the wretched ones do. Yeah. Uh, and striking regardless of whether you die or not is is amazing. So using like the even against like really scary stuff, they should like take out the forsaken one. Having that D six plus three auto hit strength six is like well, you might kill me, but I should do a fair chunk of wounds back. And then yeah. that just makes it so much more manageable for taking out with magic or, or something else. So I think just because they're original to the book and they're also very useful to the army. And I think they catch people out a little bit. Like, I think the wretched ones, I think when you play against people and they haven't fought against them, like you tell them their stats, they kind of ask you their own questions. They're kind of like, what's their defensive skill? And you're like, two. <laughs> and they're like, what's their agility? One. And they're like, oh. So they're shit. So they'll put something into them and you think, right, okay, I'll strike back now. And they're like, wait, you're dead. You're like, no, but I still strike. <laughs> and you roll your D6 plus one grinds per, per model. Eat a unit. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so that's 38 auto hits at strength four. And they're like, what? <laughs> you put out your hands to collect their tears as they go yeah. in their face. <laughs> so, and I, I think they offer a really good counter to a lot of stuff that scares a lot of the other close combat stuff. So things like feral orcs, which are fucking horrible in combat, or like elite elves. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't matter because you can just pop these guys in, and even if they do get wiped, you should be doing a massive amount of wounds back. Yeah. And if you just sprinkle a little bit of magic on these guys, like re-roll to wounds. Sprinkle a little bit of magic on them. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Of, you know, they just mm, become a little bit so mm. even <sighs> even better. They're really good. I mean, the one downfall I've got is lack of AP. Yeah. So Wretched Ones are AP zero and the Forsaken one for all that he's strength six, he's only AP two. Yeah. So against quite high armored targets, they're not great. Even things that have got like a five up save, you know, it just takes one decent roll and the amount of damage output just isn't there. Yeah. But I mean if you're pairing up against the right thing, uh, I think they do really well. So I re- I really like them. I think as well that the the last couple of iterations have had some price drops on them, which has just made them way more bringable. Like the Forsaken ones now, I think he's just about in every list you see in the so event. cheap for what he is. So bring in like at least, I mean I I've, I've got one in my list for Bristol, but the lists I've been writing recently, I've got two. Yeah, three hundred ninety points is a steal for what he does. Yeah, it's good. So two of those, a block of six wretched ones, and then if you bring the uh, Lord of the Damned item. On a character, for your uh, rerolls, the, yeah, yeah, it's actually like a thirty-six inch bubble. It's amazing for the reroll. Yeah, these guys made my top five as well. I, I just wrote irredeemable units because they're both so good. I think you could make a very convincing argument that the wretched one unit is the best unit in the warrior book, just because. And this is a spoiler for what's to come. They are so cost-effective for what they are. These guys absolutely blend infantry. As long as you've not got like heavy armored stuff, they just absolutely wreck face. Like I've got 
you know, heavy infantry or skeletons and, you know, VC shit infantry, you know, like you were saying, elves. Basically anything that can't hide behind a save <coughs> is absolutely fucked because these yeah. guys just pump out so many attacks and they're all strength four. You're going to fail and you're going to suffer casualties. And you know what? See, even if you stick around, they're not going anywhere either. <laughs> they just yeah, hit well, you again just, next time. Yeah. They're just yeah. absolutely mental. I think they are so, so good. The only thing that sucks about them is that you can only take two units. <laughs> because yeah. these guys are just, they are so, so good. The one part of the irredeemable rule that I don't like, and I won't say any more than this just now, because this will come into a general point of the book, is they can't stomp. Right, okay. So you're forsaking one monster that's 400 points. Very good against single models. Very good against single models. Yeah. But because you're not getting that stomp, you can't really rely on them going into units. I mean, he'll, he'll hold the unit up. I mean, if it's, if it's a shit strength three unit, he's fine, he's safe, he's like, it's not a problem. But he's not like a, another monster that you can be putting into them and be actually doing a lot of wounds. At least he's unbreakable. Well, this is it. So, like, you can totally do that with him. Yeah. But it's not like putting a mammoth or something into, like, a block and like, right now I get to stomp you for D6. Do you know it's Yeah. You miss out on that standard rule that applies to every gigantic model. That's taken away. Yeah. For the wretched ones, the stomps don't care. It's three stomps. You're not missing three stomps. They pump out so much damage that who gives a shit. For the Forsaken one, it would be nice if he could stomp. Even if it was, like, a D3 or something like that. Something. So this is where um, I get to play Devil's Advocate for the first time. For Wretched Ones, I agree. It's not a big deal for them, because they just pump out so much anyway. Yeah. Um, for the Forsaken one, I totally get that it's annoying, because he's a monster and all other monsters get to stomp, but he doesn't. But he's unbreakable. And so many monsters rely on the stomp just to stick around in combat. Because after, if you whiff, if you have something like a Stegodon that gets into a combat, and the Steg whiffs, the Skinks are doing fuck all, because they're Skinks. You, you're relying on rolling a decent amount for your, your stomp just to churn out a little bit more res to keep you in the game. So I think because you're unbreakable, you don't need the stomp the way that other monsters do it. I, I totally agree that it's a weird choice not to include it because all other monsters get it. It just kind of, yeah. it, it does feel weird. It's the justification. So apparently it's because they're supposed to be kind of like flailing beasts. You know, they're not focused enough that they're trying to like, there's not that element of conscious thought there, basically. Right. Like, oh, I'm going to like stand on you, squash you. It's like they're just in there, like flailing around, causing damage. But in my mind, if you're gigantic and you're in there causing damage, you're going to be standing on little people. So to me, like the stomp is just because you're big fighting small stuff, you probably stand on them. I mean, it's, that's a nitpick. Yeah, that's not a massive gripe with the book. Like, if it never comes in, like I'm not going to lose any sleep. It's just something that I'll touch on later. But as a whole, I think they're really good. I really like them. This isn't a top five, but this is like an extra thing. I think one of the, the pluses that the book has going for it is the amount of models that you can use. Irredeemable units, especially, I think, offer really cool modeling opportunities yeah. for the book. So there's a lot of really cool models out there for like uh, Forsaken ones that I've seen people do, like really nice conversions. And a lot of new companies are bringing out stuff that is like perfect. We should have said at the start, actually, that this is a uh, this is really our view of the book itself, not of the fluff or the like the modeling stuff, because I think Warriors is one of the better books for modeling opportunities. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd arguably say it's the best. Yeah. We, <laughs> we're being full gamey tonight. We're focusing yeah. on the book itself. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, Irredeemable, that's obviously a big winner because it's on both yeah. of our lists. Uh, so what's your number four? One of the things that's been in the book since the initial 2.0 release, which has been one of the best things, is the the manifestation mechanic around the Exalted Herald. Okay, that's interesting. The ability to choose his spells and buffs prior to the game makes that a really sound choice, I think, for tournaments. Yep. Because you can just hard counter whatever it is that you're up against that round. And there are enough choices that you get to make him fairly flexible. So just as a design point of view, I think that is something that's really cool in the book. And I think initially when the book came out, like everyone was running heralds, like even double herald lists yeah. were really common. I mean, I don't think you were restricted with selecting the same manifestation on both uh, models, so you could you could do like really nice combinations, or you could just do like total bullshit moves where you, you take like hard target upgrade on both and stick them together in a unit because hard target stacks. <laughs> ah, you scumbags! You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so you should be pushing around this thing and be like, ha, minus two, please. Um, so no, I, I think that is is something that's really cool. I'd like to see more of that in the book, especially given the kind of like chaotic nature uh, of the warriors and how they kind of blend between like the mortal and immortal kind of realms and stuff. Yeah. But I think that's really something that's really cool. Yeah, it just adds flavour, doesn't it? It's a nice kind of flavourful option yeah. that you can yeah, really sure. customise your stuff. The last thing again is a kind of it's a general design point about the book that I like is there's very definite paths and there's a kind of structure to a lot of the units. Okay. So you've got Path of the Favoured, Path of the Exiled, and Irredeemable. So you've got this really nice structure that translates really well from the fluff into the rules that affect the various different units. Okay. And you have various units which belong to each of those kind of categories. So I think that's something that's really cool. I mean, you can run mixed lists. You can run like specific lists if you want. If you want to run like an irredeemable heavy list or an exiled heavy list, you can do it. And yep. then again, that feeds really nicely into the different kind of modeling opportunities you've got with the army like i'm desperately trying to move on to ogres but i keep coming up with ideas like i love that model range because i want to do a total mutated exiled slash irredeemable yeah. like mutant army i think that's something that's really cool and it's really original and it feeds really nicely into the dark gods like the new pantheon of the deadly sins that they've got in the book so i like that element of fluff i think that's really cool cool so just to recap so your top five good were uh, some of the unit redesigns, yeah, Feldrax, yeah, irredeemable units, the manifestation system on the Exalted Herald, and the the different paths and how they are reflected in your unit choices. Yeah. Okay. Welcome to Gamey Corner. I'm going to talk you through <laughs> some of my choices. <laughs> um, so two of mine have already been mentioned. So I also said the irredeemable stuff because they are fucking insanely good. I said dogs because they are cost-effective and good. They're actually maybe still slightly too expensive, I would say, because they've lost Vanguard. They lo- they seem to have lost quite a lot and stayed about the same price. I don't th- yeah. think they were particularly you know overachieving in the bracket beforehand. So, but I think overall they're still a solid unit. I would still absolutely take at least two units, probably yeah. three because I love chaff. Number three for me was the Chimera. 
Okay, this is interesting. So I cannot understand why no one is taking one Chimera in every single Warrior list ever written. There have been lists that have had multiple Chimeras in them. Because for 220 points, that's right folks, 220 points, you get a large beast that moves 20 inches, is res 5, with a 4-up armor save, has 5 strength 5 attacks, and is at agility 4. This is a perfect War Machine Hunter, or Bunker Hunter, or basically I'm going to run this thing round you turn 1. You can turn around and try and kill it with stuff, but I bet you whatever you throw at it is going to be more than 220 points and the rest of my army is pushing up in your face. I think this unit is insanely good for what it is, but I don't see a lot of them on the table, and I don't know why. You don't see a lot of them, no. Talk to people about books. Like You can always kind of identify things that you think are really good that yeah. you don't have in your book. You're like, why does no one use this? And I think in the case of the Chimera, it falls into the category of... I think people don't take it mainly because of how it's changed. So looking at it on paper, on its own, that's the same price as a chariot. Yeah. It does very different things. But it's as you say, it's still res five with four wounds with a good armor save. It's I mean it's came down in price since where it used to be. But it used to have a four up regen save, it used to have lethal strike, and it used to have I wanna say more attacks. Okay. And all that was taken away. And they made it more basic and cheaper. So they've compensated it with it with cost. But I don't know for some people if they're just looking at it now and it's it's almost lost too much. They can't get over the fact that it used to be so much better. Okay. I guess that's fair. And I guess, like most things in the book, like our opinions are shaped by what we see in the meta and what we come up against. Yeah. And there's one guy in the forum that's particularly passionate about Chimera, and I know he's ran lists that have got like three in them. Okay. Because he loves them. And he always moans that he loses them super early. I think he's got a lot of cannons and things, a lot of shooting in his meta. Yeah. And he finds that they do get picked off. Tyrant and Presence doesn't help if you're coming up against things like with cannons. And if you're paying for the wings upgrade, again, that's not good against those kind of units. I agree with you. Okay. It's a, it's a good <laughs> option. Yeah. But personally, I would rather have a chariot for the same price. There's, there's some units in the game like just talking generally about the game, which I would bracket as like the scumbag units that are basically <laughs> so cost-effective in their role and be, you throw them out and they either do their job or they distract more than their points and they do a job that's beneficial to you anyway. I think these guys are in the same kind of category as uh, stuff like Varkalax, um, the skin captains on the Pterodons, uh, marshals on griffins, anything on a griffin essentially. Do you think these are as good as a Varkalax? No, but a Varkalak's over 100 points more expensive. I think, yeah, a Varkalak would kick the shit out of this. <laughs> For 100 points less, you're still getting a very good unit that does a similar role to what a Varkalak does. Yeah, Varkalak's better in combat, and it's more reliable because it's got a 4 up regen, but I think these guys are so good. Like, I would just always have one in the list just to fire it. And you, you know what? See if a cannon shoots at it. Yeah, go for it. Because that means the cannon's not shooting at the giant Forsaken ones that are <laughs> marching towards them. So far in your list, you'd have Forsaken ones and Chimeras. Yes. Right, okay. One Chimera and a couple of Forsaken ones. Yeah, fuck it, why not? And then we'll have a big right. unit of uh, Wretched ones as well. Right, okay, cool. Good. I'm imagining you're kind of what you've taken from the book as this would be the kind of army you would go with. Yeah. 
come to this a little bit later, but um, basically in prep for this episode all this week on my uh, train journey in and out to the office, I've been sitting writing Warriors lists and a Chimera has featured in every single one of them. <laughs> okay, that's cool. I'm sure... With the, the wings upgrade or not? Nah, I wouldn't be paying for wings. Okay, I mean it's 60 points, it's not cheap. It's 60 points and it actually becomes less, you know, quick. Good. <laughs> and, well, yeah, I mean, it gets light troops, but it's a single model anyway. I don't really understand what the benefit is there. Obviously, you get fly, but... It's slower. It's Nah, fuck that. We didn't need that. We're all right. <laughs> 220 points, okay. please. I think they're really good. So Chimera is your third top five? Yeah, so he's he's in there. Okay, what's next? Number four is a controversial one, because I know this guy gets slack on... Slack? Flack. I meant okay. flack. He gets flack. Yeah. Maybe it's slack. Who knows? <laughs> he gets flack on the form though, uh, and that is the chosen lord. He does. Yeah, he's he's got a whole thread dedicated to him right now. Yeah, so I think he's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, again, I don't see a lot of them, and maybe you can enlighten me as to the reasons why people have issues with him. But from my perspective, he is still pretty cheap for how Kelly he is. Again, mm-hmm. I think he's one of the few units in the game, uh, sorry, in, in the game, in the book that's pretty cost effective. There's definitely ways that you can make him insanely expensive. And I think that's where I would draw the line, especially when you start adding the gifts of the Dark Gods. Yeah. So obviously he gets that in addition to all his special item allowances, mm-hmm. which means that, you, you know, you're, you could be adding on 300 plus points onto already 300 point unit. But, I mean, some of the gifts are super good. Like, Entropic Aura is amazing. So, I would say at the minute, there's kind of two builds that people would say are worth taking. Okay. And one of them is an Entropic Aura build, because that is a very, very cool item. The fact that it shuts down armor enchantments and weapon enchantments on all models that he is touching that unit doesn't actually have to be touching that specific model. As long as that's in the unit that he's touching. Is is very cool. It's very fluffy. I really like that rule. I think that's very cool. I mean, demonic wings is too expensive for what it is. A hundred points to fly is ridiculous, right? No one's nah, paying. No one's paying that on a, on a mount. Yeah, exactly. Whoever said a hundred points for that needs to seriously have a look at themselves. <laughs> um, Idol of spite is good. A lot of people are put off by one use items, but my kind of counter to that is like, how many important combats do you actually fight in a game? And it's normally one or two. So having the ability to pump up your attack strength and AP by one in that important fight is pretty nice. Um, I mean, something like that stacks really well with Gluttony. Yep, exactly. So you can get the continued plus one strength if he's won that combat after having used that item. So it's yeah. worth it. I don't know, maybe 60 points is still maybe a bit too expensive for it, um, but it's still mm-hmm. good. I like it. Uh, Luck of the Dark Gods is insane because you can easily get to a 1-up armor save in this army, and then you take that and the Talisman of Shielding, and then you're at a 1-up, 4-up, which, which is unheard of now, basically. And you can get 1-up, 4-up on good. a I mean, character. I would say that's probably the most common gift that people take. The Luck of the Dark Gods. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I mean, it's, it's good. Yeah. Master Destruction's good. 40 points is a bit steep for what it is, though. It is. I mean, they've changed that slightly, and I think originally you couldn't use a Spike Shield with that, but now you can. Yeah, they seem to have kind of opened up the spike shield a lot more for the unit entries, which is good because it's kind of fluffy and yeah, we, we want that, to see more of I that. I mean, that was a cool original thing. I mean, some people swear by them on the right unit, like on a Forsworn unit, because you can with shields, they're, they are two-up armor. Yeah. 
on a character as well because they've changed it. It used to be capped at strength four, now it's the strength of the unit or the model. Right. So these are strength five, auto hits back on successful armor saves of a four up. So decent, if you've got like a one up, yeah, one up rerollable guy, you pass all your saves and any rolls of a four or more, you've just that done that many strength hits back. Yeah. So it's got its uses. I mean, it's nice because on a mount, this guy's at a one up. So yeah. Taking that, you're basically keeping your save. Yeah. And then you can enchant the shields with something like. Dust Forge for the, for the reroll. Yeah. And then that's a very cheap way to get a, quite a resilient character. Yeah. I think he's, he's really good. I mean, in terms of raw stats, the, it's the Chosen Lord and the Vampire counter. Probably, I can't think of anything better on raw stats. Obviously, your, your Dwarf Kings can get up there, but they've got to be the two killiest things, or certainly two killiest characters in the game. Um, yeah, Slayers, Slayer characters are bananas. Yeah, no, that's true. The Dragon Seekers are pretty mad. Um, but I just I think this guy's good. So why don't people take him? Cost. I think people look at all the, all the options and they build a really cool character and they think, fuck, he's 800 points. Yeah. I can get a really scary unit for that that's scoring and does a variety of other things. Personally, for me, I don't run character-heavy lists. I'll bring a, a sorcerer and make him a general and then I'm killing two birds with one stone. I've got magic and I've got my general. Yeah. The other thing is a big weakness in the army generally is synergy. So for most other armies, when you bring your general, you're bringing better leadership. You're bringing additional special rules which stack on top of other things. You're maybe bringing bodyguard or you're bringing hatred or you're bringing whatever else to the army. Rerolls if you're like beast herds or whatever. With this guy, he's not doing any of that because that's the fluff. Is He's there to fight on his own he doesn't give a shit about anything else. So I think you can build him cheap. You can conserve a lot more points. And like you say, his stats are good. He's still pumping out damage. Yeah. But I think people just would rather spend the points elsewhere in the book because the book generally is very expensive. So I think people look at a Chosen Lord as a luxury. I'd rather have the, the unit chosen. I think super killy characters have their spot. And even like... Even if he is really expensive, say you totally go mad and you've got you know a 700, 800 point chosen lord there. Well, if you want to go mad, stick him on a dragon and give him sloth. He's, no, no one's, take, no one's taking dragons, right? No one's taking dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Rest seven dragon, man. Rest seven dragon. But if you, if you go all out and you make him quite expensive, then for points conservation as well, that's massive. Because like, what realistically is going to kill him, apart from another super killy character, and then, I mean, a lot of that will still come down to who rolls better if they, they smash heads. Mm. Um, I mean, stuff like for like when I'm playing with the vampire, the vampire count, he, I, I don't think I've ever run a vampire count that's cheaper than 700 points. If he dies, my army's fucked anyway. So it's slightly different. But the amount of times the vampire survives games and just conserves these points, really I've, big. I've run lists with like a dragon sorcerer that's been like a thousand points and an exalted herald. And I'm like, if you don't kill these two models, I've, I've kept 2,000 points. Yeah. I'm not sure why other people don't like him. I know people have said things like, okay, he's, re- he's really killy, but he's, he's, we're talking six or seven attacks. You can go into the units, and even if he lands every hit and does every wound, you, you can still lose on combat res, depending on where it is you're fighting. Yeah, okay. And that can be That's... enough. You're discipline eight. So. I mean, there, there shouldn't be many combats where you're getting pumped in with res, though. 
for for I mean, what are you going to put them in? You're, pro- you're probably going to put them in warriors or chosen or knights if you want to run them. Or, or knights, yeah. Realistically, they shouldn't be losing combat by a lot, even if they fuck it. Obviously, yeah, if, if you I, get flank charged and shit like that, then obviously you're going to lose. But uh, a one on one fight, I can't see that a lot of things are going to beat the shit out of them. And some metas, I think he's actually really popular. So I think in some of the Eastern European countries, like bringing them with like the the burning portent, the old chaos sword. Oh wow, really, they're they're really going all out. <laughs> that's like that's the other popular build. It seems like modern tropic aura, or you go mounted with the chaos sword. So when I was writing, lists, which isn't a bad build. No, no, no. You're, you're funking monsters. Exactly. Yeah. The the one thing that annoys me about the burning portent is that it's always flaming. So if anything has yeah. the the fireborn, then you're you're fucked. There you're you're talking like ID or specific characters. So it, yeah, I think it's, if you're it's bringing not a huge them thing. The sword, yeah, yeah, it just it takes away a little bit of his utility. Yeah. So like, I mean, he's good against monsters and stuff like that. So if you bring like the the, the idol of spite and gluttony, you know, potentially he can be strength seven. It's pretty nice. Yeah. So the the Lord built that <coughs> kind of maiden quite liked was. Uh, Chosen Lord, Army General, uh, Favour of Lust, simply because it's free. Don't want to spend any points or anything. Uh, he's got Halberd, <laughs> Luck of the Dark Gods, Blessed Inscriptions, Talisman of Shielding, and Thrice Forge. So he's one up, four up, with five strength, six attacks, reroll into wooden divine attacks, AP three, offense eight, defense seven, agility seven. So for, for 560 points. <clears throat> Which I think is very, very competitive price wise. I, again, and this is something I will come back to later on, but do, I wouldn't bother with the favors. I am not convinced by favors at all for for their pricing. You're talking about the other the other six. Yeah, I mean the only reason I put lust on him was because it's free. But I, I I think this guy has a lot of room to move. In the UK, anyway, we don't really see a lot of them. A lot of people tend to either go like you do. Just take your sorcerer as your general and go really character light, or they go, you know, balls out and take double herald or the Feldrick ancestor who I'll also return. Yeah, to. the ancestors. I would say the ancestor is relatively popular. People like him. Yeah. Uh, and the final thing that made my list uh, was actually just the special items. Mm-hmm. And I think this. I mean, this isn't. I don't think a particularly borderersy thing. I think actually all the army books have done a really good job, or the army design teams have done a really good job of making the army specific items really good and I think it's really cool now that the vast majority of lists that you'll open up yeah there's the same items from the the core rules that everyone takes but there's so much more like army items that are making their way into lists whereas before and you know like a few editions ago they were kind of the, the reserve of the fluff players yeah but now, you know, you're starting to see more and more of these things. And I think Warriors have got a really nice selection. Like the Zealot Banner is was a, a new addition for 50 yeah. points. That's amazing. Yeah, that's like the de facto choice now on, on Warrior blocks. Yeah, just to, I mean, it, just to pump up your attacks even more. It's crazy good. The Symbol of Slaughter is 35 points. This is another item that yeah. I don't see people take, which I think is fucking banana. It's actually people that run uh, Doom Lords okay. take this. And... I've seen it on, uh, like, if people want to run, like, a cheap Barbarian Chieftain BSB. Yep. That's exactly what I did <laughs> in my list. Yeah. Like, it's it's cheap, right? It's 35 points. You're getting plus two attacks, plus two agility, and magical attacks. Obviously, and and it's a lightning reflexes, essentially, as well. Why oh, are you getting I, Oh, no, it's against the model. Uh, it's against... Slightly less good, but still good. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll touch on that later. But this is this is one of the things I find in the book that it's really frustrating. Yeah. I mean, there's but so no, many good cheap. items here as well. Like, I mean, Gladiator Spirits, the the armor enchantment with plus one armor and parry. That's that's super yeah. good. So, like Orb of Foreboding, I, it's fifty five. Yeah, it's points. actually really funny that. Yeah, it's yeah. fifty five points, so it is quite pricey. But that one item could potentially win you a game. Massive help. Yeah, it's like so, we played so good. Once. And it was your vampires? It was what brought the hell them all. Yeah. This is a nightmare Remember? for vampire like, yeah. players, yeah. Drop your skelly block, please. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, so he's going to know where I deploy now. Yeah. I, I mean, vamps haven't got a lot of kind of stealth going for them in deployment anyway, so <laughs> I think this is really, it's, you know, a really cool item, really good. Maybe, I mean, 55 points is expensive, but it is very good. The Lord of the Damned? Yeah, uh, that's essential for running in Yeah, massive for stuff. irredeemable stuff. Even the Weird Stones, this is the one where... When you get hit by a strength 5 attack or an AP 5 attack, you get an, a 4 up Aegis, and that's yeah. worth 35 points. It does have the restriction that if the, if the guy is, um, gigantic, you only get it till, like, you only get that one roll, whereas if he's standard or large, he gets it to the end of the phase. It's, it's really there for, like, if you're running a dragon. Yeah, a dragon or a big mount. You're getting it, you know, that one turn you need to move out from cover or whatever, you've got that 4 up. Yeah. Wasting torch. That's, that's cool. 25 points. Yeah. It's very decent. There's one item there that is hidden overpriced. I would um, argue there's two items that are overpriced. Okay. I won't fight you. I mean, people want to, like, drop points <laughs> on the okay. with that. Um, but Ledger of Souls at 90 points is bullshit. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, this is a thing that, again, I'll come back to later, but this is one of the things that in, in this book that just, like, I don't know why you would take. It doesn't scream take me. The other thing I would say is slightly overcosted is the icon of the infinite, and it's overcosted because you can't take it on core units. Yeah, that's a change. You used to be able to. If you could take on core units, fair enough, 50 points. But you can't. It's just meh. The fact that it's bound is good because you can keep pumping them out. But That, that seems to be a, a departure from when the, where the book was. So if you remember in 1.3, uh, you had the market change. And what yep. the market change did was it would give Wizard Conclave. Yeah. So somewhat similar to the Demon Legions book, you could have multiple min-size units that had bound spells, and they were typically all missiles. So you could run basically, it wasn't really a gun line, but it was a nice compliment to the fact that you didn't really have much range pressure. Yeah. I don't know if that's why it's in the book. It's kind of like an homage to that. But one of the big problems of the army, and I'm sure it's something we'll talk about, is uh, the ability to clear chaff. And yeah. this gives the army a nice way to stack up on magic missiles that you can keep on casting, because they're all bound. I just, I wish you could take it on core. I think if you could take it on core, you'd see a lot more of it. The Zealot Banner is, like, the de facto choice now, because the new hotness is the, is the, is the 30 man warrior block brute weapons. You run them in horde and you bring the banner, and yep. you've got 30 strength 6 attacks. And then you throw a party but, unit at them and watch them shit themselves. Yeah, watch them cry. <laughs> but I think having that on core would be a nice alternative if you wanted to run like min sized units to warriors. Yeah. Doing that with the old Mark of Lust was really popular. Yeah. Because again, you could basically have like your core across like 3 10 man units of warriors. Yeah. And then if they're all like pumping out those kind of spells, that would be pretty good. I mean, if they're worried about them going on like min-sized barb units and using them like that, just say don't you can't take them on barbarians, and then that kind of yeah, that would that. be a better restriction. But yeah, I think overall the special items are very cool. I like them a lot. Yeah, they are good. I think I probably don't get a lot of use out of them because I run such character late lists. Yeah, yeah. So I've got really no opportunity to bring them. But if you were bringing like a couple of characters, then. I think Ledger of Souls, you just bring if you're bringing... Not Ledger of Souls, Lord of the Damned, you just bring 
if you're bringing irredeemable stuff. Even like Immortal Gauntlets. Yeah, I quite like these. There's a build you can do with Entropic Aura. Yeah, exactly. So you bring Wrath with a great weapon, you stick it on a War Dice, and you bring Immortal Gauntlets. And you can bring the Talisman, so you can get them with a 2 up, 5 up. Your agility like 9 or 10 on the charge at strength 7. You're taking away any armor protection and magical weapons, and you're striking them at like strength 7 with divine or flaming attacks if you want. Yep. That's really nice. Like that's a hard, hard counter to a lot of characters. I like that. So a lot. I mean, there's there's some cool options. Yep. Interestingly, just not this isn't so much of a gripe, but I was just interested in this. So I, this is what I did this morning on the train. I added up all the army specific magical items across all the books. Okay. VC and Orcs and Goblins only have ten. Warriors have twelve. Every other book has either fourteen or fifteen. So all I'm hearing right now is VC need a buff. Well, VC and Ogres have five or four less than most of the books. I think there's like nine of the 16 books have 15 specific magic uh, items. Uh, that's not including dwarves and demons. That is interesting. Because, which made me think, I wonder if that was like a pre-agreed limit, that no army should have more than 15. Then if you look at the spread, so like Undying Dynasties have like nine or ten of their 15 are artifacts, but they have yep. very few like weapon enchantments and armor enchantments. Okay. So it's interesting. That is interesting. I would like another weapon enchantment in the warrior book. Um, I'm not saying I would, I would know what that yeah. would be, but for a close combat army, I think... Two weapon enchantments is a bit shit. Two is a bit shit. Our armor is good enough. Like I'm happy with the ones we've got. We've got spike shields for like an extra like armory type thing. I'd, I'd be happy with an extra weapon enchantment. For the sake of balance and impartiality, I would make the point of saying that warriors are not the worst when it comes to the number of special items. That's weird you said that, right? Because I've I've never never felt that you know writing VC lists that mm-hmm. don't have a lot of magical items. I think it's probably because you get all the bloodlines and stuff, so you kind of that's like an equivalent, I guess, of magical items. Yeah, I guess like um, the the complexity falls in different places in different books. So if you're getting a lot of customization from other places, you're probably not even aware. Yeah. I wasn't thinking that the Warriors had less than everyone else either. I was just curious, because I know some people in the past have said they would like another weapon enchantment for the Warriors. Like, we used to have a spear enchantment and stuff in 1.3. What did the spear do again? It gave you plus one strength and something else. It was a buff, right? It was like a buffing thing, right? Yeah. Okay, so there was no major disagreements there. In positive stuff, we were kind of agreed on all points, which is good. Yeah. Um, so let's let's go to the negative Nelly side of the show, <laughs> and let's discuss. Is that top... going to be my new name now? <laughs> I mean, you're collecting quite a lot of nicknames, you know, the fluffer, Down the negative club. Nelly, destroyer of Ed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, destroyer of Ed. It's a good one. The, the second time I've beat him in God knows how long. <laughs> um. Yeah. So let's talk about the the negative stuff. So okay. Paul, what is your yeah. first negative thing? This is like an obvious one. I think most people would be at least sympathetic with this. And I would say that points costs in the book are pretty high yep. across the board. Obviously, we're paying for high stats. We're paying for like the elite nature of a lot of the units. And I think I appreciate the fact that it's the first new book. And they wanted to err on the side of caution. They have a kind of iterative approach when it comes to pricing. They don't want to have lots of really big price jumps 
and they want to do it slow and gradual so that they can try and balance things and that all makes sense but there's just certain things in the book that are way way too expensive so a couple of things that spring to mind are Ledger of Souls which we touched on which yep. is 90 points and Veilwalker yeah which is 100 points so according to the army strengths and weaknesses which we alluded to earlier one of the strengths is large damaging spells oh grab the soul boys Veilwalker is a very cool mechanic. I think, rules-wise, it's a very cool addition. And it's supposed to be there to help damage output through magic. And the Ledger of Souls is supposed to complement that. According to the fluff, people that have sold their soul for hellforged armor, they're on the, the path of the favored. When they die, what's supposed to effectively happen is those souls are basically absorbed by the sorcerer and they're used to buff magic. Which is very cool. Very cool. Very fluffy. So that's where Soul Tokens came from in the original 2.0 release. They've amalgamated that just into Veil Tokens just to simplify it, which is fine. Because you had too many things to try and keep track of. Too many tokens, too many cards and bits and bobs on on the table. That's all very well and good. So they're there basically to buff the Sorcerer so that you're, you're generating more Veil Tokens... And then with Veil Walker, you can be spending them to like increase the range of spells. You can be forcing re-rolls on things, which is cool. And it, there's lots of interesting synergies there with some of the paths. It helps offset some of the weaknesses that you get with occultism, because the range of occultism is dog shit. But no one takes them, because they're too bloody expensive. So if you bring a Wizard Master, you're paying the 225-point upgrade to make him a Master. Yep. You're spending the 100 points on Veil Walker, and then you're spending 90 points on Ledger of Souls. You've got a 600-plus point character. You've not spent anything to protect them yet. The price becomes so bloated that you're like, uh, okay, I've got this one guy that's really cool. But, I mean, it's not like the magic phase is a safe bet. I mean, I think the magic phase is, is too important not to play in in the game just now. And I really like it. It's a, it's a fun part of the game. But we've all had games where magic's a bit of a bust, right? Yeah. So it's not like it's a safe bet anymore. You maybe, I mean, on average, you should get at least one spell off per turn, which is maybe better than the old system. But it's just too expensive. I mean, this is something that the that the army is supposed to be good at. It's an original mechanic to the to the book, and yet no one's using it because it's just priced way out of of being useful. So I really don't disagree with you, and cost is something that's on my list as well. But have you ever played with Legend of Souls? I've never played with the Ledger of Souls. I have played with Veilwalker. Yeah. Back in one of the previous editions, some of these rules were also tied to the old Battle Shrine design. Yeah. So if you brought the Battle Shrine, you could basically pay for these upgrades on that rather than paying for it on your Sorcerer. You would have to bring a Sorcerer anyway because you'd only maybe have one or two spells on the, the Battle Shrine. But it, it helped spread the points. So you didn't have all your points in one place. And the shrine was tanky enough that it could kind of operate on its own a little bit. So the Ledger of Souls, it basically increases your Veil token cap See, this as well. Is, I think this is why it's expensive. Because you, you go from three Veil tokens you can store to six. And that, yeah. that is massive. And I think that, you know, that is very strong in a game where, like you say, you're really realistically only going to get one or two spells off a turn. So it's essentially giving you an extra dice, which can be the difference between getting another spell off. But I think because Veilwalker uses your Veil tokens, 
it, you needed to have a way of boosting your veil tokens with veil walker because yep. or else you're, you're never going to use it because you're never going to have that many veil tokens but it doesn't take much between veil walker and something like the gauntlets and you're yeah. really starting to eat through your veil tokens well like if you were to run an occultism and like you're there's a lot of things going on there's a lot of mechanics you have to be aware of so i think it's something that also takes a bit of time to get used to and a bit of finesse in order to know how to use yeah. properly which isn't a bad thing like i don't don't take any way anything from the book for implementing those kind of rules but other books basically have mechanisms for generating tokens which are way cheaper and simpler like skull fetish yeah and the orphan god books is amazing the other thing to say as well the ledger of souls it's only a 12 inch radius so if you if you're losing guys more than 12 inches away you're not generating anything so again there's these restrictions that are placed on it beyond the high cost which limits its use like in my mind if a sorcerer is harvesting souls of people that have died why can't that just be board wide yeah especially if you're sacrificing them for occultism I mean, you can sacrifice dogs or whatever, but I mean, chaff's a bit of a premium in the book. So, what are you sacrificing? <laughs> yeah. Dog or a 60 warrior? Point mm. <laughs> Sixty-point chosen guy. Yay! No one's going to do that. I'm being facetious, no. but I think if this is something that's supposed to be unique to the book, it's supposed to boost a strength, and I don't think you should have to pay that amount for it. Both things could easily be fifty points. Bring them both. You're adding a hundred points onto your your character and it's on a sorcerer which he ain't gonna win a fight if he gets he's fucked i mean he's got two strength three attacks he's not the chaos sorcerer of old that could fight these items could afford to be much cheaper and then at least if people are actually getting to use them you're in a better position to then try and balance it because right now no one's using them so the design of these could be absolutely fine but we're not generating any useful data here to, to say to the design guys like oh by the way they work really well yeah. I mean, I'd quite like to see it in play. And I know that if any of the design guys listen to this, this is going to be very unhelpful because... Well, it's not even the not design. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the price. It's the people that have priced it. See, I think the issue with the price, though, is that because it doubles your veil token pool, so that is massive. And as someone who uses magic every single game and relies on magic, having double the veil tokens is, is, is just like massive impact on, on your game. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I agree that it's, it's overpriced, and I agree that see how that would make its way into a list, unless you're catering your list to that. I mean, I love magic, but I wouldn't cater my list to it because it's not reliable enough. I don't know how much cheaper it can go because of the, the veil token rule, because it is so good. Like, I mean, I think if you made it 50 points, everyone would take it. I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm just thinking that I don't know how much of an impact that would actually have. I think it would be big, but maybe I'm just overestimating how much one more extra dice is going to be. Until people can actually play with it, we're never going to know. And I don't think people are going to play with it until it's priced at a level that is at least attractive. And right now it's not attractive. Yeah, okay. If they were to bring it down to, say, 50 points and people played the shit out of it and it was broken as hell, then I would rather them they keep it cheap and tweak the rule to be less broken than say, right, we're going to make it more expensive again because then you're just going to go back to, well, no one's bringing it. I think that would be a better way to go. In my mind, because it's supposed to be an army strength, this is something that we're supposed to be good at. Pricing it at a level where no one's going to bring it, it, we're not getting any benefit out of this strength. It's theoretical at that level. There are two examples of things that I think are generally like too expensive. 
I don't think anyone could say that the Warriors book is priced well across the board. Um, and it's my number one bad thing. And actually what I wrote was favours because they're the embodiment of the pricing issue. Everyone understands that you're paying for stats when you play Warriors. The issue is, is that even your basic Warriors, which are comparable with Elite Infantry and other books, admittedly. Yeah. But if you start taking favours on them, they're easily up into an 800, 900 point unit. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you doing? Like, And you're limited at 20 models. No one... Why would you pay that? Like, I understand that people just now are taking the big blocks of the Great Weapon yeah, guys, the, like 900 points. Yeah, they're the vanilla guys. Yeah, exactly. If you lose a 900-point model... I know this might be contradictory because I've just been going on about Chosen Lords and points retention and stuff, but it is, I think it's easier to lose a unit than it is a character. People might disagree with me there. But if you lose that unit... You are fighting an uphill battle now. I just like the pricing and some of this stuff is just bananas. Like I don't n- understand how someone looked at something like the Feldrick Ancestor and said that's seven hundred and twenty points. Oh, and by the way, he can't take any special items, and if he does, it's double the points that anyone else would pay. What are you yeah. smoking? That is like it's bananas. I ain't paying that. That's shit. I mean, that's just a theme throughout the book. And the most cost-effective units in the game are things that don't rely on favours, like your wretched ones, yeah. and your vanilla warriors and warrior knights and warrior chariots, because they're all... You're basically just paying for their, their base stats there. So five knights is 240 points, which is comparable with most other heavy cavalry in the game, and they're very good. The issue then becomes, if you take something like Envy on them, or Lust, you're like you're 8 or 12 points per model, and that's on top of oh. banners and stuff. It just... It's so easy to run out of points in this army because you try and make it customizable, you try and make it fun and flavorful, and the price just pushes you out of like lances on knights are ten points per model. That is absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) The thing that they're supposed to be good at, I mean, they're supposed to be like the high first turn damage unit, as opposed to the chosen knights, which are grinding. A ten man warrior knight unit with lances and a zealot banner, I think, is six hundred and fifty points. And I think that's okay. I think that's a good unit. But then, as you say, you're not utilising the thing that's supposed to make the book unique. Yeah. Which is favours. Because it just makes the unit too expensive. So I would agree with you, like, favours are priced too high. It's frustrating. It is frustrating. Because there's a lot of favours that I think complement a lot of specific types of unit that you can't really use. Yeah. Because you want to actually have more than two units on the table. The Chosen Knights are kind of the embodiment of this. Because, I mean, Chosen Knights are very good. I would go so far as to say they are good. I w- I'm not prepared to say they're very good. I okay, they're, they're good. They're not as good as they used to be. And they're more expensive now as well. Yeah, they used to be very, very cost-effective. Yeah. They're now less cost-effective, but still good. But as soon as you start putting, you know, the good marks that you want to have on them, stuff like Sloth or uh, Envy, yeah. the cost just goes through the roof. I don't know what the answer is. I'm basically just moaning, and I'm sorry to <laughs> people that are listening to this, because if you just make them cheaper, I'm not sure how much of an effect that'll have. But obviously, people will take them. I think maybe they do just need to come down a bit, but I'm not sure. It feels like there's a bigger problem with costing in the book, but it yeah. just you, you see it most clearly with favors, because you've already got a very expensive unit. You want to make it better or more flavorful or whatever you want to go for, and then yeah. You somehow arrive at 800, 900 points. One of the strengths of the book is supposed to be customization, right? Yeah. So you've got these amazing stat lines. And then they say, oh, you can take this, you can take that, you can. All these different weapon options. 
you're like a kid in a, a sweet shop. And by the time you finish making this awesome unit, as you say, you've arrived at 800 points. I mean, it's amazing on paper, but the reality is that it'll always struggle to get its points back. And it's an elite unit. So you're talking 20 guys, max. And super hard units like that do not run the game that they, like, the way they used to. Like, things like Death Stars are still, you know, still, you still see Death Stars, Death Stars are still good. They don't dominate games the way that they used to. If you bring a, a unit that's got super killer characters and has, you know, got all the marks in the world or favours, whatever, and you're talking like a minimum 2,000 points in that unit, you're probably yeah. still going to lose a game because A, people won't fight it, or B, it can still get beaten because the, just the way the game works now. In a lot of the cases, we're talking about movement four and five infantry blocks. Yeah. So you just stay away from them. And what makes it even worse, and this is specifically for favours, is the negative things inside the favours, which you're yeah. already paying money for. Rats is the most <sighs> obvious one, where you're getting lightning reflexes and plus one agility, and plus one to hit in the first turn of combat. Oh, sorry, you're not even getting plus one to hit anymore. You're getting lightning sorry, reflexes. Sorry, sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I mean, obviously, lightning reflexes is an amazing rule. Definitely top five. Uh, plus one agility is awesome. Agility yeah. wins the game. But you're paying for units to hit you better. Yeah. On the first round of combat. Admittedly, they're only applied in the first round, but, like, you're paying for that? <laughs> yeah. This is my second big gripe with the book, is a lot of the things in the book come with associated negatives. So, Wrath is my number one fucking complaint when it comes to this, because Wrath, talking about price, on Chosen, Wrath is priced so high because it stacks so well with group weapons. Yeah. So it's priced for the best possible combo. So I run that 10-man unit of Wrath with group weapons because it's amazing. So your Agility 5 base, this will give, make you Agility 6 if you're charged in the first round. So chances are you're going first. And if I charge, you're going first for sure at Agility 7. And you're hitting with 30 attacks. Which is bananas, points. yeah. It's really, really good. It's an amazing unit, but you're also making yourself harder to hit. And it's just Easier against the unit that's over 800 points yeah. that's so elite. And personally, I don't like the fact that it's supposed to be... Oh, it's because you're wrath. It's because you don't care if you get hit. It's like, that's dumb as fuck. Of course you hate yeah. it if you get <laughs> fucking hit. Like, when I read the fluff, this the section on wrath, it struck me more that these guys were all about, like, honour. Yeah, it's like martial not, prowess, yeah. Yeah, they're not, they didn't come across to me as being reckless at all. That's like old GW wrath. So, in my mind, if we're going to be paying stupid prices, I would say lightning reflexes all the time. That's what you pay for. You only get the plus one agility in the first round of combat, and then that's it. Yeah. I would separate those two things out slightly, but the plus one to hit is bullshit. It really annoys me, because you can still flub. Everyone has bad rolls. So then... You're fighting against things, and they're like, all right, okay, so I'm hitting you on fours. You're like, no, you're hitting me on threes, because you get plus one to hit me. And it's such a sour thing to have to tell your opponent. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, Wrath is, is, is up there for me. And there's loads throughout the book. We were talking about Symbol of Slaughter. If you take it, you get plus one to be hit yeah. again. It's bullshit. So if you take that with Wrath, you're totally fucked. <laughs> <laughs> plus two to hit. Fuck me. And then you've got things like the breath weapon on the Felgic Ancestor. Oh, so this is this is this was my Brucey bonus negative because it didn't make the top you, five. Yeah, but... like, yeah, I get a breath weapon. Oh, but wait, I lose a wound. Point, Why am I losing a wound? Pointless rules weapon. and restrictions. <laughs> it's so annoying. Yeah, that 
that rule is dog shit. <laughs> like, I remember someone tried to explain it to me, like, because the Feldrakes aren't really dragons anymore, it hurts them to try and do that. But fuck, like, you've just paid 700 odd points for this fucking thing, which I think is useless See, this anyway. This is the disconnect, right? It's like, okay, that makes sense from a fluff standpoint, but don't make it a fucking rule. Yeah. It's a game. It's supposed to be fun. We don't make people with, like, fucking handguns, or every time you shoot, you lose a guy who's... They're really unreliable, and they just blow up. Yeah, you take 45 minutes to reload. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you, get, you only get three shots in the game. It's just like... You could apply this kind of thing across the board to loads of stuff. It's not a fun part of the book at all. It's actually really annoying. Yeah. And it goes further as well, because stuff like... So one of the weaknesses that the Warriors are meant to have is special deployments... Yeah. Which is fair enough, okay? Fine. Nobody wants to see a 30-man warrior block vanguard at them. I get that. <laughs> be hilarious. What I fucking hate is stuff like, you've got a light cavalry unit in this game, in your book, the the flares. Yeah. Who are on the border of being good. <laughs> they're not quite. <laughs> but yeah. they're in that area. The vanguard's six inches. That is infuriating. Like, I understand that they're trying to differentiate units and they don't want just, you know, strength 6 AP3, right? Okay, <laughs> fine, whatever. I can get behind that. Light cavalry that doesn't perform the role of light cavalry is fucking stupid. <laughs> like, yeah, that was added. It almost seems like they added that just to say, oh, no, you have it. Yeah. Like, who's bringing that unit for a fucking 6-inch vanguard? I mean, they've got a lot of cool things going for them. I mean, their movement 10, March 20, light troops, strider, feign flight, all very cool, but they're also res 3 with no fucking save. Yeah, like they're like cavalry. Like The price is the same as all other like cavalry. And I totally get the thing that, you know, they're saying they don't want to make things the exact same. So they don't want all strength 6 attacks in the game to be AP3. Okay, fair enough, I get that. But it just... When you're priced the same... I know, again, we're comparing units, blah, 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 blah. But when you're priced the same as other units that are in other army books competing in the same area as you... You want to be on the same level, and it just annoys me that stuff like, I mean, Vanguard should be a pretty universal rule for light cavalry. There's nothing wrong with everyone having Vanguard 12 who has Vanguard. I think what makes this unit so shit is the fact that they've replaced something that was better that did the same thing. So Hell Riders or Hell Striders, or what the fuck they were called in 1.3, they were the same thing. They were lost. So you had rerolls on charges. They were light cav. They had a very high march rate. They had a much better armor save. So it didn't matter that they had low res because you still had something to rely on. Their special weapon, the skinning lash, which basically does a sweeping attack, that isn't near as good as what they used to have. So again, it's like you're paying equivalent points, but they're worse. No, it's definitely not as good as it, yeah, it's definitely not as good as it used to be. Um, my issue with the skinning lashes is five points per model on a unit that's butt naked and that yeah. if anything looks at it, they're going to die. The creme de la creme for this unit. And, and I'm, I'm very sorry to everyone that's listening because we've fallen into a very dark place now. <laughs> they have Battle Fever, which is the single most pointless rule in the game. Nobody's taken a unit because of Battle Fever. The no. only thing that is good about Battle Fever is that it gives the Barbarian Chiefs battle focus and hatred, but only for them, not for the unit. And again, I understand that you don't want to have units doing the same thing. Like, you don't want all kind of barbarian units having hatred and shit like that. Like, I totally get that. But 
Like, there must be something better you can do than reroll ones to charge. Especially when you give them fucking spears and they're so good with spears, why the fuck would you want to charge? Like, it's just, ah! Yeah. It's just... I mean, to be honest, that's another big thing in the book. Just generally, barbarians, no one's really using them. The only thing they get used for is, like, sacrificial bunkers. If you're if you're using, like, occultism, you want something to kill, or you want somewhere to put your, your wizard that doesn't have to fight. You just bring, like, a like, 20-man unit of those, pop them in the back somewhere and they can't get shot at. Again, um, I think barbarians are almost good. They're too expensive for not being quite good enough. Ah, see, do you and think... See, I actually, I would disagree there. They compete directly too much with warriors. But then that's unavoidable, because they're both core. Well, it's unavoidable, because they don't do anything else other than what warriors do. If you made them specialists at, like, alright, here's... You can bring ten with vanguard or you can bring 10 with ambush with throwing weapons or you can bring skirmish and you can use them for this or maybe if you bring 10 you get scout or something like give them something that is completely different to what warriors do totally agree with that like scouting guys with throwing weapons and bows and stuff like that or little ambush and raiding parties that would be really cool really fluffy really like that however for their costing right it's nine points per model yeah if you give it a spear and shield right it's, mm-hmm. It goes up to 12, which is one point yeah. more expensive than a skeleton with Spear and Shield. Now, I know that obviously yeah. you bring skellies back, and that's a massive part of their, their pricing, and I totally concede that. But Strength 4 and Spear is such a good combo. I think they're almost there. The, I think the issue is is that whereas other army books have kind of comparable infantry that they can easily buff with synergies within them, the yeah. Barbarians this are left. A- yeah, they're, they're left by themselves. And the best synergy you get is with the Chief, but it only affects him. Yeah. So if they had something like Bodyguard for Barbarian Chiefs or Battle Focus if there's a Barbarian Chief in there or something. Or just like minimised leadership. If just, bar- yeah, just, just something. You need something. Just give them to, something. Yeah. Barbarians need a bit of help. I'm not saying this is the way to go, but a la 1.3, you <sighs> could bring two units of 40 with flails and wrath and be like, fuck you elves. <laughs> 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 Come fight me. I don't care if you wreck my units, they're still going to hit you. I don't think they should be necessarily just like a big glass cannon type unit. You could make them that way, and it would be different from warriors, which are supposed to grind. So they would have a unique role in the book, but that's more like Asklander territory. This is something else that I've seen in the forum, is the the idea that if you want to play barbarians, you play Asklanders. I think that is 100% unacceptable. <laughs> like... Barbarians are part of the Warriors unit first and foremost. Aslanders is an auxiliary book that, you know, is yeah, it's it's fun and definitely if people take it and enjoy it, play it, go for it. But it's not an army book. And the idea that you should relegate, like you should just relegate those units because you can use them in an auxiliary book, it's just that's idiotic. This is interesting. This is maybe a good point of discussion. So, a while back on the forums, there were discussions around barbarians and what people thought of them, what people thought could be done to make them more appealing. Yeah. And I suggested a rather drastic measure. That's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm normally so calm and collected when it comes to the word, but I said, su- well, not even suggested, I put this out there because I was interested in what people thought of it as an idea. So at the time, my thinking around the book was, and I'm, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with myself, I think part of this is true, that there's a problem in the book around legacy 
and it's supposed to be a new book, but designers are in this difficult position where they have to try and honour people's models. Obviously, everyone came from 8th. This is why 9th exists. They have to appeal to that crowd that played these armies. So we need undead armies that can be regrown. We need dwarfen armies that have bullshit rules because no yep. one will play them otherwise. Why well, would you? Come on. Exactly. So with warriors, obviously, barbarians are such an iconic unit. And I suggested that what if you just took all the barbarian units out and Feldrax? That was for a slightly different, not because I didn't like them. It was a suggestion that you make Asklanders an official faction. So none of this, oh, it's a bit homebrew-esque. We've not really balanced it properly. Balance it properly. Make it a proper book. Make that your barbarian slash monster army. And within the warrior book, you focus on Path of the Favoured, Irredeemable, and Exilgenists, and Monsters. And you make a more cohesive book that is more Ninth Age specific. Because part of the problem with Eldrax was before trying to balance different units, because everything's close combat orientated, right? But you've got like 20 choices to do close combat. You have to have units which are different enough to give you choice. But then when you come to design it, there are issues there because it's like, right, well, we're going to make Forsworn really tanky. And you're like, yeah, but why do we have Feldrax then? They're really tanky. So you start getting, like, crossover between yeah, units. Yeah, you get redundancy for the same categories. Yeah. So I suggested take away Barbarians, take away Feldrax, and focus on this part of the book. And I put a poll out. I mean, I'm not anyone that's involved in making the book. And I said that, obviously, no one is expecting that to happen. But I suggested, would people be okay with that? So there was about 50% of people, I'm going to get the percentages slightly wrong, but more or less the point is the same. About 50% of people said they would be okay with that. And the remaining 50% were split. There was maybe like 20% of people said, no way, keep them in the book. They're part of the book. They need to be there. And the remaining part said, keep Feldrax, bump barbarians. (laughs) Fuck the barbs. (laughs) Fuck the barbs. Or vice versa. It made me think of the poll they did about for war machines. Yeah. So remember they said should they be square or should they be, or should they be circle? Yeah. And I think that the poll kind of leaned towards they should be square, but then they said, well, that's cool and all, but no, we're just going to go <laughs> and keep them circle. Yeah. So it was kind of like the design team had already made the decision. So, so it was interesting because <laughs> I kind of looked at that poll in the same way and been like, well. You could make an argument that most people would actually be okay with bumping these units out of the book. So in defense of the design team, yeah. who I've just spent the last 20 minutes slagging, yeah. there are, the, the issue with the form is that you tend to have a vocal minority yeah. who portray themselves as the voice of the, the faction. Yeah. And that's an issue. And there's certain communities that are far worse than, than others in it. But the problem then is, is that these factions do not tend to know what's good for them. And I say that as least patronising as I can. I mean, I've seen some things where people have been talking like really, you know, good conversation back and forward about ideas that are fucking terrible. And they <laughs> like, no way should that be introduced into the game. That's not in my opinion, that's a fact, right? If some of the shit ended up in here, like, it would be chaos, right? We're not doing that. So I think there is an element of people don't know what's best for them sometimes. I'm not saying this is one of them. I'm just saying that this is the issue with using the form as a barometer because 
stuff tends to gain momentum when it shouldn't. And I'm very thankful to people like Dan Thomas, who will sit and listen and communicate with people. Like, I don't know, he must have more hours in his day than everyone else. And he's an academic. We all know what academics are like. Well, it's very true. But, like, he sits and he talks and he tries to show them that that is a dog shit idea and we shouldn't do that <laughs> in the nicest possible way. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. And just to make that point even more so within the, the context of the Warrior book. So when the Warrior book came out originally in 2.0, you couldn't have favours in a lot of units. Yep. So they made this big change. Basically everything in your granny could have a favour, uh, could have a mark in 1.3. 2.0 came out and it was only chosen units. Yep. And that was a massive departure from the legacy game. A lot of people didn't like it. I didn't like it. Because it's like, well, our army is supposed to be really customizable. We're supposed to have all this choice. We, we got told, we got really excited, we we're going to have these seven new gods, and now, despite the fact that we've got seven new favours, we can't actually access them on most of the book. Yeah. So, at the time, as a compromise, you basically got an extra support attack in the back rank for Path of the Favoured units, as well as free rolls on break checks. So, this is when everyone was running the, the Chosen Knight spam. Yeah. So, you'd run Pride. Because so why would you? Then with Cold-Blooded. Yeah. Uh, your whole army would be fearless and you could just push towards a gun line and be like, shoot me, I don't care. And that was really strong, actually. And I think now there's a lot of people on the forums that have said that pushing for favours on these units has been a bad thing in the long run. Because, like we said, they cost too much. So no one's using them anyway. The loss of the extra support attack as standard was a big change and hence why the Zealot banner has came about. I think the mechanic in which you add favours to these non-chosen units, so you have to pay for this chosen champion. Yeah, So you pay for the champion upgrade, and then you pay for the chosen champion upgrade, and then you pay the points for the favours. So not only are you paying really high prices for the favours, you're paying an extra, like, 40 points on top of it. It's just madness. So it's crazy. So I think that's an example of where the community is pushed for something that, in hindsight, the I would think a lot of people would say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have pushed for that. Um, and it's came back and it's better in the butt. Yeah. What I would say as a caveat to that, though, is the design team have a really hard job. And like you say, listening to people on the forum, it's a fucking wonder that anyone actually sticks at it. Because you, you can't please everybody. There's always going to be yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. You're trying to appease half the crowd while trying to implement something that you think is good. I don't envy them. But what I would say is the communication is fucking dreadful sometimes. Yeah. So if the community is pushing for something, they should be in a position to say, right, okay, we will consider this, but there will be consequences. And some of those consequences might be this, because we can't give you favours on top of those benefits, because it would be broken as fuck. And they don't say things like this. Yeah. So I think because they're the ones in the know, and they've got the expertise, and they can appreciate things like balance better than most people can, what they need to get better at is the communication side of things. And like you say, people like Dan Thomas are very good. And Dan has been very active on the Warrior Forums, it should be said, talking to people, listening to what people have got to say. There has to be better communication between them and the community because it being very one-sided, it's easy to appreciate that they're just going to turn off and be like, look, you guys are just complaining all the time. This is just white noise now. So the community doesn't help itself. And I think... Part of that problem is expectations from what we had before in terms of legacy. 
while trying to adapt to like the new direction yeah. of the book. There's a lot, like we said in the prose thing, there's a lot of good, good things in the book, but a lot of the new stuff as well, it, it's, it's just hampered by these associated negatives that we don't like. Or I would even say like one of my negatives is, is some of the design I just don't like at all. It's not to say that it's bad. It's just a personal preference that I don't like it. Like Path of the Exiled used to be better, I think, personally, than what it is now. They've changed it. So what was Exiled? So Path of the Exiled before, if you you were basically stubborn in the first combat. So if you had like a little five-man unit fallen and you wanted to charge into something, as long as you didn't explode or get killed outright, you could basically pin things. Now, if you fail a break test and your Path of the Exiled, you get to attack again, and then you're removed from the table. What is Path of oh, Exiles like the Fallen, right? Yeah, so this is like the first level of the mutants. So you've got Favoured, Exiled, then Irredeemable. Yeah, so these are the guys so that exiled, fucked up a little bit. Yeah, so these are your Fallen and your Forsworn and your Doomlord. These are these kind of units. Right. So for instance, you could have a unit of like eight or nine Forsworn. Because people are running Forsworn in, in, in blocks now. So this yeah, is I, think that, I think that new rule where they become spawn if they die. Oh, sorry, not spawn. Yeah. Oh, shit, that was really bad of me. Wretched ones. So I, that's think, I think that's really cool. I think that's really good, yeah. Damnation is a super fluffy rule. Yeah. And it's, it's 33 it's, points per model. It's good on the but table as well. It's fluffy and good on the table. I'll, I'll get back to Damnation, but Path of the Exiled, now, if you fail your break check, you just die. You can't really use the unit the same way. Do you not you attack could... again, then die. You attack again and die, yeah. yeah. But say, for instance, in the case of Forsworn, Forsworn are like two attacks each, straight four. You attack again if you want. They're not there to deal damage. So with Path of the Exiled, if you're running just like a six-man unit, because a six-man unit's not super expensive. It's actually, I want to say, 400 points. If you hit something and you don't do a lot of damage and you say, all right, okay, roll an eight or oh, fail, there's no opportunity to, to rally that unit, to save the points. You basically just lost 400 points because you can't roll high enough. Again, it's like such a departure from the normal rules that punishes you and you can't really use the unit in the same way as you would like to use them. Okay, that's your point. So from that point of view, I don't like that change. Damnation is very cool. That's a super fluffy rule. I really like it. You have to pay for it as well, though, don't you? you have you're to paying for it, and yeah. this is the other thing. You're paying for it, and you only get benefit of it when you lose, which is kind of shit. Yeah. I mean, these guys are supposed to be trying to not turn into a spawn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you don't really want to be paying points and be like, I hope you lose. I'll let you <laughs> spawn now. See you so in like, hell. So you could run, like, little, like, min-sized units, like little three guys with damnation. You go into combat, you get the shit kicked out of you, you pull the unit, and you have a little like unbreakable dude there to hold them. Because the thing is, as well, you're taking casualties, right? Yeah. You're, you're not going to have three guys there left. So you've maybe got one or two. Personally, I would just bring wretched ones. I wouldn't dick around with Damnation, because it's actually cheaper just to bring rather than bringing the Forsworn. Yeah. And then when they die, you've lost the points, and the wretched ones count as a, a summoned, summoned unit. unit. Yeah. So I think it's a really cool rule, but again, you're paying for something that you only get the benefit of it when you lose. For an army that's all about dealing damage in close combat, I don't personally like that. That's a personal preference. I would rather it do something that it just just make it just make them stubborn. Stubborn for a turn was enough. I mean, they were tanky. They used to be res five. 
back to the kind of the issue of the the double sided rules, which I remember them talking about this because uh, I kind of I got to see stuff uh, when I was part of the the Empire team for the sorry what is it called ACS. So the idea is that it helps build more customizable armies because you pay to do something but you can't do something else. So it's kind of like you've got to be careful, you've got to be really tactical about how you want to build your list and stuff like that. So the theory of it, I think, is good. The issue is is that it's implemented in such a way that you you pay points to shoot yourself in the face. And it's not like things like fun restrictions, like uh, some of the like the honours that the Highborn Elves can get. You know, you, you get this honour, it buffs your character, it synergises well with this unit, but you can't take so much of that unit because yeah. because you've done this. And the same in the Vampire book. You go Strigoi, but your magic is going to be weaker. Yeah, you take... it's, it's like the, the Ogre Cans if you bring like a Mammoth Hunter or Wild Heart Pills. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I would class all of those as fun restrictions, because yeah. although it's a restriction, it's a restriction that you deal with at the list building phase, and you can still yeah. build very good lists, uh, or very fun lists, or both. I think the issue with a lot of the Warriors rules is that issue of you're paying for that benefit, which also shoots you in the face in-game. You've paid for it at the list building stage and you're paying for it on the table as well. And it's just, it's too much a lot of the time. There are units in the book, and I think Damnations is a good example. And I think someone had that idea, and as soon as everyone hears it, they're like, that's amazing. That's so cool. Because of course they should turn into wretched ones, because that's the whole point. That's the whole progression that they're headed down. But it's things like that and like the Hellmaw. And it's like, the Hellmaw is an amazing idea. You can open portals on the board and your little slow movement blocks a bench and shake and pop out the other side. That's awesome. And this is something that's supposed to offset the whole lack of special deployment for a lot of units in the book. So I think the Helmot has a lot of potential and I really like it as a concept. Unfortunately, the Helmot is fucking dog shit. Yeah. It's a monster (laughs) that's also a construct that's shit in combat that has to be babysat because it will fall over to a fucking stiff breeze. So the Helmot earned itself its own position in my bad five. Because, like you, I think it's a very cool idea. The portal aspect is terrifying. Like, I remember the first time we played, and you were telling yeah. me I had the Hellmore rules. I had my VC, and I'm like, fuck, he's going to get behind me. It's going to be, like, madness. I'm going to have chosen in the back of my zombie bunkers and stuff. This is not going to end well. And then we started playing, and you are like, I'll put a, a thing there. And I was like, right, so what happens if I put a dog unit on it? Oh, I can't spawn. Oh, okay, yeah. so I'll put my dog unit on that then. Okay, cool. So I've just invested 300, 400 points in this. I'm yeah. not using it. Once you know the tricks around the Helmot, I think the Helmot's a bit of a gimmick. Yeah. If you're very good at deployment and positioning, you can basically mitigate the Helmot. So it's a really cool idea. It, they just have to improve the rules a little bit. Yeah. You can only open portals within 24 inches of it. And line of sight, which is big. And line of sight. But you can't hide it. It has to be out front. They have taken it down in price a bit, so it is a little bit more reasonable. But they need to either make it better in combat. Personally, I would prefer it if the Helmo was just a monster. I think that would be cooler. I think that speaks to the whole hellish beasts, legendary beasts aspect of the book. Well, a Helmo, the Helmo would be a monster, but it still does the portal thing. If it was a decent monster and still had that ability, I think they would just that would be so expensive. They would price you out. I think it's got to choose what it wants to be, and I think it falls in the same character. There's a lot of units in the game that are like this, where it's got a foot in two camps, and because of that, it's priced difficultly, and it ends up not being very good in, e- in either of the aspects yeah. that it's meant to be. I think but it's, it's beyond price. 
it's also design. Oh I yeah, I, I totally agree. I just feel I think, that if it was a monster, like they'll price it out, and that would just be no one will take it again. If this, I think you could make this five hundred points. If it was a monster that could hold its own in combat for at least a couple of turns, I think more people would use it, even if it was a little bit more expensive, because it would offset one of the major problems it's got. So either make it better, and if you have to bump it up a little bit, okay, or you've got to improve the rule set a little bit. Like even you say, like just take away the line of sight thing, make it like an anvil or something that can just hide at the back of the of the, ta- of the table and they can just open portals and things. Because yeah. you're still limited to opening one portal or closing one portal per turn. So even if you bring the two tokens, you've got to bring the two tokens if you want to use it early game. Otherwise, you're looking at turn three and four before you've got enough things open that you can actually start using it effectively. Yeah. So I think the helm was a great idea. I, I really like the concept of it, but I think you have to either with the design of it or, or the price. Yeah, I would agree. Interestingly, there's a guy going to Bristol and he's been through them. So this is the only thing that I could think of. and But again, you have to build a list around them. You take two of them and basically you play for the portals. But I still feel that's too gimmicky and not effective enough on the table. I just don't see how it would work. The only other negative, yeah. just really quickly, is, and this is a pretty quick thing, it's just the fact that the book is generally one-dimensional. Yeah, okay. It's just a little bit boring, I think. There are cool ideas in the book. They just have to, they just have to get that last 40%, and then the book will be fine. Yeah, I think that's a good way to sum it up. It feels like they've lost a lot more than they've gained between 1.3 and now, in terms of list building and general just the flavour of the army. I think the fluff is really, really good. I really enjoyed reading the fluff. Mm-hmm. I love the, the new the Seven Gods and the new Path of the Fall and stuff. That was really cool ideas, really liked it. But it just hasn't translated in, onto the table, and that's frustrating. It being the first book... There's, yeah, there's, there's obviously going to be teeth and It's a bit of a learning curve, yeah. and I think originally they were trying to stick too rigidly to the, the army strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. We've mentioned Dan uh, talking to the Warrior Forum. He said recently that that's been scrapped. Yes. Supposedly. There's, so so for there's the new a, books, I don't think that's something people have to worry about. There's a new system that's going to be coming into play, uh, which I don't know a lot about, but I just know that it's meant to be replacing the Armour Strengths and Weaknesses because basically yeah. they've just proved so difficult to implement. The general concept around having books that specialise in certain things, obviously that's not going away, but as a framework, I think they're removing it because they're finding it too difficult to explain to people what it actually is, which is kind of hurting people's expectations of, yeah. of books and things. So I think, um, yeah, I think that is going away. So probably whatever the new book's going to be now that Demons is done, or the first iteration of it's done, whatever they're going on to from after that, I think that's not something people need to worry about. So the only other negative thing, we've kind of crisscrossed. So my five negatives were the pricing issue, particularly favours, yeah. the Feldrick Ancestor, I don't understand what that unit is. The special rule is bad enough. I don't understand why you're paying that points for it. I know some people are taking it. I don't understand you. <laughs> the he- the Hellmore, as we've just discussed, um, yeah. the kind of the flavour aspect that just nothing in the book really screams take me, which is a shame because the fluff's so good. Like I, in particular, fucking love the sloth fluff. Sloth are terrifying. They're so cool. I love all the kind of aspects of that that they talk about in the the full army book that would make for some amazing army 
you know, modeling opportunities. And I know that Casimir from Armor Time is building a, a sloth kind of themed warriors list. I think that's going to be, just look absolutely fantastic. But the issue is, again, it just doesn't translate onto the table. The other negative thing, the last thing, and I think this is potentially has, would have the biggest impact on the book. And it's the easiest to fix. And it's to do with chaff and chaff clearing. So apart from flares and barbarians with thrown weapons, which are too expensive to take, so don't do like, might as well just delete them. You've got no other way to clear chaff apart from magic. But yeah. you do not have access to the best lore for that, which is pyro. There are pages and pages on the forums about people asking for pyro. I think and if warriors got pyro, it would instantly shoot up in power level. What they've said is they think it would be too much of a crutch for the army. Which you can take or leave it, but that's one of the reasons. I totally disagree. Every element of every army book is there to complement the feel of the book and what it can and what it can't do. So every book should be able to clear chaff. They should just be able to do it in different ways. So if you're like an elf-based faction, you should be shit-hot at using a bow. Even from the other angle, so like vampire counts have no way to clear chaff. Apart from the the altars that do the aura and missile magic missiles, Instead, well, you got the, the, the screams and the uh, the sweeping attacks, reaps and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I forgot about them. So you could you could use them, but again, it's not. It's easy to chaff. I mean, it's not you, a gun line. No, I mean even like the reaping and stuff. Like you chaff, I reap you. You're still getting your turn of chaffing. Yeah, like you've, the chaff is still accomplished what it's there to do. So they don't really have many ways to deal with chaff, but what they do have is lots of chaff of their own. Yeah. So they can out-chaff you in that. So that's how they get around it. For warriors, you're a combat army that cannot dictate combats, because your own chaff is pretty poor. I know I've just said the dogs are good, but... Dogs are good, but they, they're not... They're basically there as redirectors. Yeah, they're not good chaff compared to stuff like eagles or giant bats or, you know, some of the... Yeah, swarms or something. Yeah, exactly. So you're a combat army that can't dictate combat and you're slow, and I think that's why we've seen so many of the mounted chaos lists. Uh, sorry, yeah. oh, fuck, I did it again. <laughs> Warriors lists. It's because it kind of gets around that a little bit, but even still, like, it's, I don't think that's a crutch to ask for something to let you play the game. <laughs> no, and again, this is a sort of less salty version of the conversation I had in the Amortown podcast about why the Coatl doesn't get cosmology or whatever it is. But, like, if you read the fluff around, like, Pyro... I don't know why warriors don't have that. No, I mean, it would actually make more sense to me that they didn't have access to evocation, but they had access to pyro. I mean, I know that would that would be very controversial in the warrior form, because I know that a lot of warriors players love evil, quite rightly. It's definitely... It's an amazing... Definitely amazing second part. best lore in the game. But it just feels like... And I know this isn't the case, because it's way too cynical to be the case, but it feels like they've picked, like, cherry-picked elements of the fluff and kind of implemented them, and other bits they've kind of chosen not to, because it's... You know, they can't really make it work. And I just I think the end product is a reflection of that. That's maybe too cynical, though. I've made the case before in the forums for Pyro. Based on, we're supposed to be good at large damage and spells, that's the best lore for damage spells, and yet we don't have it. It seems a bit of a contradiction. It would be super useful in the game, considering our weaknesses elsewhere, so it would be a nice compliment from that perspective. And I want to say it's a lore that we had in the past. I mean, the, the game's gone through so many iterations, so I don't think it would be, like, unheard of. So even from, like, a legacy standpoint, it makes sense. I just feel like if they got that, that would make such an impact on the army. Like you say about VC, I mean, even having, like, another chaff option would be nice. 
if I had a wish list, that would be on it. A piece of flying chaff, please. I mean, flying chaff is the best chaff. Let's be serious. Being able to hide it, stick it behind something, you just deploy it as and when you need it. Yeah. It's so frustrating. I mean, you do have, like, cavalry with the flares. The, the issue with the flares is that they basically do the exact same job as dogs. Yeah, they've got light trips, so they're a bit more maneuverable and they're faster. But they do exactly the same job, but they're more expensive. And they don't really add anything else. Like, you want to give them bows so they can clear chaff, but then they're going to be hitting on five, sixes all the time. It just... And I, I yeah. know this is probably very unhelpful to all the design guys who have basically just sat and listened to two hours of us moaning, but... You guys take the bad with the good. I mean, even the list that we're seeing at tournaments, I mean, there's nine Warriors lists going to Bristol this weekend. That is... Mm-hmm. That's massive. That's the most. That's the highest... The highest army, choice yeah. of But if you look at the list, they're basically the same. <laughs> they're fl- different variations of the same list, apart from the Helmwell one. So you've got people like Tanker, they've got their own style, they bring like the multiple min units. Yeah. Chariots, Forsaken Ones, Chosen Knights. That's basically it. Yeah. Maybe some people prefer Feldrax. They bring them instead of the Knights. Certainly in the UK, maybe in other countries, the meta's different and the, the choices. Apparently, like that's something that Crocs, who's part of the, the Army Design team, was talking about recently. Is Obviously, they're in the position where they're looking at choices like across different countries. So yeah. obviously, we're only really seeing what's going on here, but Apparently, like, the list choices are very different in different countries, but I would say it's still a very limited array of units yeah. that are being selected. Okay. I think we can probably leave it there. I think we've got the salt out. I got really into that there. I got very negative very quickly. I don't know where that came from. I was trying to stay very <laughs> objective. You've been, no, you've been listening to me for too long. But this is it, right? See, like, when we play, do you find this as a ninth age player? You'll be talking to someone and you're playing an army that isn't your own, so you'd be asking questions about units. I find when I tell people rules and prices around my stuff, there's a lot of surprise in people that don't play it. Because they're yeah. surprised at either how expensive something is for what it actually does, or they're so fuck the warrior player over. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, you get plus one to hit me because I'm rap. And they're like, oh great, cool. Yeah. I just, I'm not scared of warriors. I'm like, I've played, I've played warriors at ETC, I've played warriors in tournaments, obviously playing you, I'm just as an army, I am not scared of warriors because they're so predictable. <laughs> like, oh, you've how got scary that... do you think as a faction are they in close combat? Because this is the thing we're supposed to be good at. So, or do you just think I've I got mean, stuff to do with it? I play two armies that are not particularly good at close combat. So if you get in, yeah, to me, it's it's bad. But you're moving at me at like you know like eight inches a turn. I can chaff you. I can avoid a unit that I'm really scared about. I can combo charge the another unit to get points. And there's not a lot you can do about it because your chaff is shit. I just I'm just not. I mean the scariest thing in the warrior book is the irredeemable units because you can't get rid of them. And something like a wretched one block against VC that potentially can just walk through your army because there's not a lot in the VC book that can actually stand up to and fight it and because it's random move you can't chaff it and things like that so the warrior book for me and I, I don't know how much of this is just because we have our own interpretation of it and I'm sure there's people that disagree I think it's definitely one of the weakest if not the weakest book okay from what I've read on the warrior forum the current interpretation of where the, the guys involved in the book where they think it is they are in the impression that it's mid-tier it's a solid book, but it's it's not top, but it's not weakest either, which I don't agree with. I mean, I think now we're, we're at this, like, I really like the stage we're at just now where all the books are kind of on par. 
Oh, it's not what it used to be. I, I think. Yeah, I think. I think as a whole, they've done a really good job in balancing all the armies. Yeah, the gap Every is very small pretty... between them. I think you definitely still have a handful that are slightly above the rest. Warriors have got to be on the lower end of the spectrum. I've been playing ninth, or I've been following ninth since 2016. I've only ever played warriors. Every game I've ever played, I've played this one army. So I've played it through various iterations. I don't feel the book is at its strongest just now. I think it was stronger than 1.3. When 2.0 came out originally, I think the book was blander. I think they've improved it from a fluff perspective. They've introduced rules which reflect the fluff more so. So I think they've improved it from that standpoint. Yeah. But I think the book was stronger when it came out originally in 2.0. For all that it was more boring to play then, I think it was stronger. To me, the book still feels like it's a work in progress. More so now than it used to be. And I would say it's not mid-tier. So I would say it's almost mid, but it would be bottom of that cluster of armies. Yeah, That's where I would put it. I would agree. I think if the points come down, to take away some of this negative stuff, the, the book is already ten times better. Yeah. So I don't think it's a huge mountain to climb. I think they just need to get their shit in order and just say, this is the direction we're going. We're going to tweak this, this, and this. And we're going to make it a more cohesive book. We're going to try and get more choices to be more uh, playable. I mean, even stuff like... I, I saw that you were on... Uh, you had a discussion on the forum about barbarians introducing like a totem system for them, where they, you choose like the animal totem and it gives you... You know, does something akin to the thesaurus uh, totem system. Yeah. I think it just needs more stuff like that, just more fun stuff. I think that idea that I had was probably it was too clunky. Like it's it's a lot of rules for a handful of units. But then you can just slim it down, um, like so you've got four animal tomes, so crow lets you ambush, but the max squad size is fifteen. Yeah. I don't know, fucking bear gives you plus one strength in the first round of combat. Like, obviously that's insane on Barbarians, that would not be a rule. But, you know, <laughs> just something like, nice, simple yeah, like that. That was basically it. It was like, Bear was like your... It would be like a glass cannon unit. You just give them, like, battle focus and stuff. The interesting thing with that, though, was it would not only dictate the special rules, the totem would dictate the unit size and the weapon choice. I think it gets too restrictive Yeah, it's, it's very prescriptive. Yeah. It's not that customizable, but it basically frames the barbarians in multiple roles that they don't do just now, that we don't have elsewhere in the book. I think they're the kind of conversations that help the rules team get the units to where they need to be because that's what people want to use the unit for. Yeah. So barbarians should offer something different to warriors. What do warriors not do? Right? Warriors can't have special deployment. They're not very manoeuvrable. They grind very well, but they don't do worse damage, right? Okay, these are all things we can get barbarians to do. So it was basically a way to try and push it towards there. Yeah. And and maybe it'll happen. Maybe they just need a very simple rule that applies to them all, and it's and that'll be enough. Like they get battlefields on the charge or something like that, or fuck knows. Fuck anything's better than battle fever. That's fucking stupid. Yeah, battle fever. That's it's a fucking waste of ink. I mean, if they're worried about fucking building complexity, take that out. Because that's like taking up space that we don't need. Yeah, I spent five seconds reading it that I'm never going to get back. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think the book's almost there, but I just I hope 
that they don't get to the point where they're like, we've been working on it too long, we need to call it a day. Because I think that will definitely hurt the book, and that will definitely turn people off. There's a lot of people in the forums that they, they want all these changes to be done. They just want to get on with it. But there's a kind of sad tone about that, because they're kind of like, look, 50% of the book is fine. Let's just call it a day. I just want to move on. Because <laughs> they're scared that... I'm trying to fix the other 50%. 50% that they like is fucked. Like, that's where people are with this book. So it is very divisive. Like, like a lot of people do not like this book. They're not satisfied. They've done so much right. It just feels like the fawn at the last hurdle. Yeah. And it's it's not hard. I'm saying it's not hard because I'm not not having to do it. And I I totally take my hat off to the guys that do it. Because it's not an easy gig to get. And all they get is criticised. And can imagine that they get very frustrated at it. But... Come on, guys. Battle fever, really? Like, that's just indicative of so many things in the book. And when you look to, like, the ETC lists from this year, right, they were all, again, basically the same stuff. Lots of Chosen Knights, Heralds, you know, Min Units of Warriors and stuff. That's not the army book. That's five units in the army book that people were just taking in different combinations. That's not, like... Because I've seen it as well, that old warriors are still getting taken to tournaments and stuff. They're not. There's five units in the, the book that are getting taken to tournaments. It's a big distinction distinction to make that it's not like a book like VC that everything is bringable. Like, yeah. the internal balance of that book is where every book should probably be. I've said this so many times. The VC book should be the model book. <laughs> it's just... We're rooting for the book. We want the book to be very good. So, hopefully in the next few months, we start seeing some progress. For the sake of the other, like, 14 books... So people need to kind of move on and get it done. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, and I think they have learned a lot. I think the, the Demon Legion book that just came out has oh, been released with much... Head and shoulders above what Warriors is. Much yeah. better reception. I mean, there's always going to be people that don't like it, and that's okay. Can't please everybody. But loads of people have been talking about that book and how flavorful it is and how much they like the options and the and the customization that you've got and how it reflects the fluff. Like it's, there's so much good things going for that book that even if there are problems with it, and there will be, it doesn't matter because it, there's so much other positive stuff around it that it makes it acceptable. I do think that the Warriors book was a victim of the circumstances when it was done, and that it was the first one, but also because the way that the teams had decided to approach the army books ended up not being the right way to do it. And things like, you'll hear the term complexity budget fired about the forms and stuff. That, again, that was a product of its time when they were making these. Like, they don't adhere to that now. I mean, people talk yeah. about complexity and stuff, and obviously you don't want overcomplicated units and rules, but complexity budget, as it was when this book was made, doesn't exist anymore. As you can see in the Demon Legions book, where you've got all those manifestations and no one knows what the fuck they're doing. Well, see, this is it, right? I mean, the complexity budget argument, I don't think anyone bought, yeah. because we just talked about the VC book. How many pages of special rules has VC got? Oh, lots. How but much has, v- has Vermin Swarm got? Fucking even, loads. Even more. <laughs> Mate, it's fine. Dwarves, dwarves can... have got their own <laughs> Well, this is it. Like People are okay with that level of complexity. This is a game that you're kind of signing up for that. Yeah. And I know they're trying to appeal to new players and stuff, but that's why we've got like the fucking quick starter rule set. Yeah, like the, the rule book the of this game <laughs> is fucking bananas. That's where the complexity lies, not in the army books. So 
I really hope they ditch that because yeah. it's horrendous. I mean, I, there has been massive changes in the, the design teams themselves and the way that they're meant to approach stuff. Like very recently, there's been big changes. So I think if we're going to see changes to the Warriors book, it will be this year. I think there are there are changes coming that we'll see in the next couple of months. Yeah. I would say the last iteration of the book, the design changes have been, for the most part, improvements. The, the points are still bullshit. For some reason, things got more expensive. I don't know why they got more expensive. So they just need to, like, crack the design and then, like, try and let's settle on some sensible points for units. Because they're always going to be tweaking points for things. That's fine. We can do that while they work on whatever the next book's going to be. Yeah. So before um, we wrap up then, so we, we are yeah. kind of thinking Warriors Bomb. We've both had the opportunity to play quite a lot of games over Christmas and January. Yeah. Gold Edition, who's your top mm-hmm. three armies just there? I would still rate Vampires, just because... Because I play them. It's they've okay. got such, you can see it. They've got, <laughs> <laughs> they've got such good variety, and, and it's all good. It doesn't matter what bloodline you take. It's a cool list, and it's competitive, and there's different things there. Yeah. We were talking about UD earlier. Uh, no one plays UD in our in our group, so I'm kind of relying on hearsay a wee bit, but by all accounts, UD are, are so strong. And I think they kind of went under the radar a little bit for a while. And yeah. I think now it's like, oh, no, UD are legit. If I was putting them aside, because I say I don't actually play the, against them, I think Saurian Ancients are still very strong. Um, I can hear Martin saying fuck off. <laughs> he's not going to... He's not going to talk up his own book. I think there's other books that are just like extremely solid, like Dwarves. I don't know if I'd say they're top, but I'd say they're definitely a strong book. Orcs and Goblins, I think, are very good. Yeah, I would say they're high mid-tier. I think they're pretty decent there. Beast Herds. I really like Beast Herds. I think they're very good. I don't think they're as good as they used to be. Well, they used to like be ogres, bend, didn't they? So. <laughs> so I think they're still very good. But I'd, I'd say they're strong mid to upper mid. Yeah. Trying to think what else. Empire, I'd say Empire upper mid. Yeah, Empire solid just now. I hate playing against Firm's one. They're a hard counter to your army. They're definitely upper mids, if not higher. <sighs> see, they would make my top three. So, my top three would be, in no particular order, I would say Vermin and Dying Dynasties, Vampires. I think it's hard to say where demons are going to fall, but I think they're going to be upper. I think they're going to be pushing into that. By, the, by reading the book, Obviously, yeah. reading the book and actually how it translates into the table are two different things. And they're going to be there. I think basically because UD are just solid. They're just a really strong book. It's the same with vampires. Vampires are just, you know, it's just a good book. And both of them ignore some of the like most important rules in the game, like panic, morale, you know, break tests. Dying. To... <laughs> exactly. The, the ability to ignore the, that aspect of the game allows yeah. you to plan for eventuality is so much easier than I failed at 9 re-rollable and now my battle line's crumbling. Like, it should never be a surprise if you lose a vampire unit, you know? Really. You should you should have kind of expected it. It just makes game management a lot easier. And Vermin, I think, are going to be the new the new spice coming into the new edition. Their, their book is just fucking mental. I don't know how it's... Uh, there's some stuff in that book that is ridiculous. I don't know how it's got into this form. But I think they're they're going to take names. I think this coming tournament season. So that's our our top three, and we'd probably say that most of the books are solid middle. Yeah. And then you've really only got a few that are bottom. So I think we both agreed that 
Warriors and Silvernails are probably down at the bottom. Yeah, but I think there's even that, I think there's a big gap between Warriors and Silvernails, I would say. I think Silvernails have struggled to adapt. Their book is actually similar to Warriors in that it's so restrictive in certain aspects. The tree builds seem to have kind of survived yeah, a little bit better. The tree builds are still solid, and but that's the same as the Chosen Light spam. Like, again, you're, you're picking yeah, five like, units and you, you build your army. Yeah, it's three units of the book that are good. Exactly. I think they're definitely they're lower tier. I don't think they're quite as bad as certain someone else players make out, but I think they're definitely on the lower end of the spectrum. I think the rest are kind of even. I wouldn't want to pick out any other book as a kind of a lower... No, I, like we said, I think by and large the project's done a really good job in, in, in balancing. That's a lovely note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, thank you everyone if you've stuck around this long. As I said at the beginning, I kind of alluded to it, I was a bit worried about doing this because I'm very aware that I've got very strong opinions on the Warrior book and a lot of them are negative but you've got to take the bad with the good yeah. you've got to talk about these things can't all be rainbows and and you know what, bullshit. if you disagree with us or agree with us let us know, comment on the forum but send us an email don't disagree too fervently or angrily via email because we won't read them I'll so still I won't read them, read them. I'll, I'll Andrew, hundred, oh, I'll, I'll Andrew can read them and give me the, oh, oh. the nice version <laughs> Be like, they thought it was a good episode, but they didn't quite agree with all your points. I'm like, right, okay, that's fine, I can handle that. I've never listened before, but you guys don't know what you're talking about. Well, <laughs> if you had listened before, you would have figured that out way earlier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, fucking newsflash. Like, <laughs> what did you expect? You know, professionals? Before, yeah, it's not for lack of trying that we don't know what we're <laughs> um, Before we sign off, just a couple of shout-outs. If you do want to get in contact with us, you can drop us an email at yep. scottishwildlands at gmail.com you can grab us on twitter at scottish ninthage uh, you can grab us on the forum paul is space goblin i am lost cause we have the the mad get thread if you want to post any questions or comments on there um and the last thing i need to do is give a shout out to the scottish championships which are happening on the 23rd and 24th of march yeah at common ground games we have 35 tickets sold that means we've got four, mm-hmm. we've only got five tickets left. What the fuck are you waiting for? Buy a ticket. I know, right? Everyone that's just listened to this fucking gripe can come up and be like, "Paul, you're talking shit." Exactly. You can actually meet us face to face and tell us I'm we're bring, talking shit. You can bring a warriors list, and you can be like, "This is how you fucking play the bit." And see when you win, best in race warriors, you can actually look Paul in the eye as you take the medal and mouth yeah. to him, "Fucking jabroni." Just watch him cry as you take that medal. I'm totally away. okay with that. <laughs> Fuck, I'm going to Brist- I'm going to Bristol like tomorrow, and there's like the other Warriors players. I've got no preconceptions about winning best in race. So yeah, there's five tickets left. We've very generously been sponsored by Deep Cut Studios, Cromlick, and Mears Miniatures. So the sponsorship for the event is fucking insane. There's such good prizes on go. Some nice, tasty prizes. So get yourself involved. There will be Best in Race Awards as well. Um, nice. So I think it would just be, it'll be good. It'll be good. What are you guys doing for trophies? Uh, we have been in contact with Gary <gasps> from Dark Fantastic again. So if you saw any of our trophies from last year, it's the same guy that's doing them. And this year he's doing our best in race medals as well. So, um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's going that's to be exciting. swanky. Swanky. They were very cool, the last ones. And, of course, the events and sponsorship of uh, the, the Scottish ATC team. So any money that we do make will go towards them. So if you want to help us out as well, buy a ticket. Because we need sure. to get to the grips. Yeah. 
Not Zagreb's. Five, That's the wrong place. Every, if we go to Zagreb, we're in the wrong country. <laughs> we're going to every five pounds of your ticket will go towards helping Paul learn how to fucking play his book. Yeah, ponies to buy in your army. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's us. Hope you've enjoyed. Uh, any last words, yeah. Paul? We should also say that Bristol is soon upon us. Yes. There's going to be five of us travelling down from the club, which is pretty yep. good. We're going to enjoy it. I'm not going to say if you see us there, come say hi, because this isn't going to be released in time. So no, what sir. I will say <laughs> is a preemptive. It was nice to meet you guys. And also, <laughs> we will be doing a wrap-up of Bristol after the event. Yeah, that's so, going to be the next episode. Yeah, so we'll come back and tell you how it all went down. And maybe maybe a, a Warriors player will win it. It's going to be nine of us. <laughs> yeah, statistically, you're probably in for a good shout. But... Statistically, we should. <laughs> We've got the best chance, uh, <laughs> just numerically. Tank is going. Tank is normally pretty good. Yeah, ta- Tank is your best hope, probably, I'd say. I know. Oh, dude, if I get best in race, oh, it's a good win. Scenes. You'll hear be me amazing. shouting from here. I mean, not that this is possible, but I mean, if I come last and also somehow manage to win best in race, that'll be that'll be the, <laughs> the best thing ever. We're playing the Vale Renegades. Yeah. Grudge them round one. Oh, maybe I should bring this out on the show. I got an email from uh, Rob. That's who I'm playing game one. Rob uh, from the Renegades. And he he mentioned that uh, he's he's looking forward to meeting the the second half of the dynamic duo. Oh, that's us. And that. Uh, he says that I'm a bit chirpier, because apparently you were sulking the whole time at mids. I was sulking. That's what he said. So, if you've got a message for Rob, this is this is the time. Fuck you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass that on to you. <laughs> I just said fuck you, by the way. Uh, nah, no, that's I like Rob a lot. Not, yeah, the Veil guys are cool. That'll be fun. Awesome, we'll have fun, and we'll hear all about it on the next episode. Yeah, take it easy, guys, and we'll see you then. See you then.